welcome to episode 116 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Mr. Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that are released for the Commodore 64. We are using the magazine Zap 64 as a monthly guide for the games to focus on, but we are in no way affiliated with Zap 64 itself. This week, we start our look at March 1989 and the first batch of games reviewed in issue 47 of Zap 64, along with what was also going on in the UK singles chart that month. Graham, do we need to beware the Ides of March, or are there bountiful offerings that await us? In this overly expensive collection of delivered seasoned vegetables in a box of an episode, we grab our pointy ears, belt and cape and go for a comic panel-based stroll around Gotham City looking for stuff in the fancy-looking Batman, the Caped Crusader, finally live out the dream and find out what would happen if a seven-foot professional basketball player goes head-to-beak with a giant pigeon. Maybe, in one-on-one Jordan vs. Bird, explore the side-splitting political satire and lampooning of an off-the-wall UK TV show by making a fighting game in spitting image, and we casually throw £10 down the drain for some mindless medium-res Space Invader-inspired nonsense with Better Dead Than Alien. Did your specially delivered and hand-picked box of vegetables go rotten in less than 18 hours? Because mine bloody well did. We also pop into the green lizard-like world of the run and gun for some alien-inspired shoot and jump in the excellent Zamzara. Get the real feeling of being on a TV sports quiz, including the total lack of excitement, the dead-inside enthusiasm, and the little to no interest with a question of sport. Explore the wacky world of the lion tamer, stunt horse rider, trapeze artist or tightrope walker in the way only a fruitless event sim can achieve in the who the hell wanted it world of circus games. Push our throttles beyond max, engage jet engines and fly like crazy around the skies like a pop rocket balloon in the ride on arcade monster smash C64 conversion of Afterburner before finally trolling the old arcade obscura once again and popping into the no one's heard of it zone to dig up something from Atari's early 80s catalogue in the C64 conversion of Peter Packrat. The budget games are beating the crap out of the full price games. So many games, so expensive, so many terrible too. 1989, what are you playing at? Well, do you know what? That's a question we're going to answer, isn't it? In the spirit of this podcast, that's what we do. It is. That's yes, what we it, do. It is. It's certainly something that we will look at covering over the next four episodes because March is a four-episode um, month. There's a lot okay, of games. That's fair. That's fair. Um, there is a lot. A lot of games. 37 in total for March. Oh gosh, that's um, quite a lot. It is. It is the, I would say it is the the last of the, uh, you know, the last of the big spenders. The megas. <laughs> it is the last of the, uh, it is really, I mean, from here on out, the, the number of games does, does sort of drop considerably. But for some reason, it's, it's obviously the hangover from Christmas. Um, mm. You know, it takes some time to actually get the games, review them and put them in. So that's why, I think that's always why March is quite big each year. So they've obviously done that. But anyway, yes, March is upon us. So let us get into it. But before we do get into any games, Graham, we must look at the cover. We must review the cover. Yeah, about that. It's not. <laughs> do you not like it? It's, well, it's not the best. I don't. It's. I don't know. I, I, my feeling is that perhaps um, that was just drawn quite quickly. <laughs> I. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, the th- they've gone for, for the magazine's got a new look, hasn't it? So there's a there's been a redesign inside. I have a feeling that they were probably up against time with everything that was going on and just said, mm. "What what games we got? Zach McCracken, Rocket Ranger, and Lead Storm." Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not 
Yeah, a man wielding a baguette in anything is good. Especially yeah, like Zach McCracken. One, one could take it sort of thing in the sort of randomness of the game, Zach McCracken, and the sort of craziness of the mm. cover do kind of tie in a little bit. Maybe, maybe if you want to be, you know, if you want to be on the sort of the, you know, if you want to look on that. But I, I'm not a big fan of the uh, the googly eyed brush. No, I don't know. I'm just you know, it always makes me a little bit uneasy when I see swastikas on anything, um, even in jest. Even, yeah, I mean, it is a, I mean, it's a product of 1989, and I, you know, and Rocket Ranger yeah, does, just, you know, save the, it does say save the world from Nazi domination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I mean, because he's flying through it, isn't he? So it's, uh, yeah, he's, he's burning it. Yeah. So I take, you know, I'm, that's I get fine. it, but it's just, you know, just, it's a little bit uneasy. It's not a, it's not a happy paradigm to, you know, we don't, you know, and that sort of thing, yeah, but it's well, a, all, you know, it's, they, they've thrown a quite a few of the games into that cover. And yeah. I suppose in the spirit of that, it's all right. He doesn't look anything like Zach McCracken, as far as I'm not? aware. Not, well, not really, but I suppose okay. he, he could do. It's an interpretation, isn't it? It's an interpretation. I think Led Storm's getting a little bit of a the bums rush there compared to the screen time <laughs> and all the rest of them. But what the hey, just a, well, what are you, you going to do from Led Storm apart from the car? Yeah, that could have been the whole thing though. I, mean, I suppose that the Wet Clemens cover was kind of car racing, wasn't it? I suppose they can't you know do too many of the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how much they regretted that when Wet Clemens actually turned up. But hey oh. Yeah, I think it's just you know I don't know. It's like I said, there's parts of it that are okay. The styling of it's okay. Again, we've gone crazy typography with loads and loads and loads of you know just loads of text everywhere. Mm. And it is a very busy cover. It's very hard on the eye, that cover. Yeah. Um, and nothing shouts, because it says there, uh, Zach McCracken and Mind Menders, do games come any sillier than this? Um, but it doesn't, the cover doesn't come across as silly. It just comes as cluttered and like there's too much to review. It's too much. It looks busy. And that, that gives me the idea that it's probably too much going on in there. Yeah, um, quite possibly. But, you know, but, at least you could have won a remote control buggy, which is always nice. You could, and a complete aquarium. Eh? <laughs> exactly, eh? Or is that a complete aquarium? Hey, who knows what that hey, hey, really nudge, means? Nudge, hey. Nudge, 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 and loads of hot, fishy. loads of hotline prizes. Yeah, they couldn't bother to name them. <laughs> <laughs> no, we just, just you can get loads. There's loads. You can have loads. But yeah, yeah sixty games reviewed because there's a lot of Amiga games. We are obviously yeah. sixty-two Amiga, and there's lots of Amiga games, but thirty-seven, yeah. sixty-four ones. Right, yeah, there yeah, we yeah. go. I need to go out there. I don't yeah. think there's much more to say. It's so hot you could fry bacon on it. I'm not a big fan of those kind of taglines. No, but this, they see they've been up in the game with those over the past few issues of this. Mm. So, no, I think, yeah, it's not their finest moment, but I get what they were trying to do. Just make it look really busy and cram stuff in. Fair enough. Yeah, okay. I think I think it was a bit of a rush job at the end. I mean, I do like yeah. the Rocket Ranger guys. It's all very well drawn as ever by Mr. Frey. You know, you can't knock yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Yeah, there's good movement in there. As always, good movement, good angles. By the way, I've just noticed, what's... um. What's Lloyd Mangram unveiled? What was the Lloyd Mangram? I don't remember that. Well, Lloyd Mangram was the person in Zap who always answered the letters. Oh, okay. But he okay. didn't exist because it's Lloyd Anagram. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I just wondered what it was. So he, he, never, he never existed, as far as I'm aware. So he was he was never a real person. So that was what was unveiled, then maybe. And um, maybe I don't know. I didn't, you know, possibly. Okay, it is what it is. But yeah, so there's a bit of a redesign inside. It's kind of a bit more. I'm not quite. I don't know. The, the, I don't like the new sort of styling for the head. The names of the games they don't stand out as much as they used to. No, no, and they've gone mad on the sort of little images of them looking silly, don't they? So there's loads of that in it. Uh, yeah, there's loads of drawing stuff to to knock yeah. the. Yeah, okay. I, it is what it is. I suppose it is what it is. Yeah, there we go. That's the uh, that's the new issue. Well, new issue. I say March 1989. New for <laughs> us. Right, should we get in some games? Got nine that's to get plan. through. That's the plan. Let's get into the first of those nine games this week. And the first one, well, it's uh, Batman. Batman, eh? 
Um, Batman. Yeah, this is. Uh, it's not his first computer game. Do you know? What? I found that quite odd. It's not his first computer game. It's his second. This is only the second game that I could find. Moby Games only lists one before this. That's that Spectrum okay. Amstrad. I think that's quite weird, considering video games been around since about seventy two, and Batman was quite a thing. So. I thought mm-hmm. Batman would have been mm-hmm. in more games, but no. And this is the first time he's appeared on the C64 in what I'm going to dub mm-hmm. the year of the Batman. Because um, <laughs> there's not just one game, there's another game. There's the game of the movie there coming is. along, and there's the movie itself Ooh. all coming in 1989. So the big rebirth. And I think, you know, this is the reinvention of Batman starts here, doesn't it, really? Uh, yes, 1989 to what it, yeah. to what it sort of... It, it takes a bit of a, a nosedive when Joel Schumacher gets his hands on it, but... Um, just a bit. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yo, but yeah. Uh, so there you go. Do I need to go into who Batman was? Probably not. But no. I'll give a bit of history to the, the Batman itself, the comics. The character debuted in issue 27 of Detective Comics. I don't know if you knew that. In 1939, it's created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Bill Finger sounds like a bad guy in Batman. Probably um, was. Yeah, probably was. Batman is the crime-fighting alter ego of stylist billionaire Bruce Wayne. Since his creation, obviously, there have been a whole host of approaches to the character, the camp TV shows, the 60s, the dark, dark gothic tones of Burton's films, the neon nightmares, the Schumacher films, so on and so on. Even more so in the world of comics, titles like The Killing Joke, Dark Knight Returns, Nightfall, Arkham Asylums, name just a few. It's, you know, Batman has returned time and time again. And has stayed a constant, really, since uh, his creation, what, getting on for nearly 100 years ago now. There are multiple Batmans all over the place in the DC multiverse and that kind of thing, and there are loads of seminal characters that have spawned from the stories. Um, and we even had recently the sort of Arkham trilogy of video games, which gained loads of, which had got loads of praise, loved their way, for the way it incorporated both sides of the Batman character in his use of fighting. And that being the world's greatest detective, um, it was kind of the, that Arkham game is one of the, is one of the games I think that really sort of introduced that stealth vision, detective vision that we see in loads of games now to sort of click a button and highlight yeah. you highlight yeah, the sort yeah. of thing, and so you highlight these sort of interesting bits. That sort of Batman vision, whatever they called detective vision, I think was one of the sort of first times it was really used. And to be fair, that sort of split character is kind of what this game aims to do. It albeit you know with more modest. You know, 8-bit C64 means this is not like an Xbox game, Xbox 360 game or anything. So this was released by Ocean. Um, It was developed by Special FX with coding duties by Robert W. Tinman, not Tinman, sorry, uh, not Zach Townsend as listed on Lemon 64. Um, It's Robert Tinman did this. It's got graphics by Karen Davis, game design by Jonathan M. Smith, and music by Fred Gray. Okay, so... Um, this is quite an interesting release, actually. You don't just get one game here, but two. There's actually two games in this. Now, we've sort of, oh, no, two games, but we'll come to whether this works a bit later. Although, because both of them do follow the same overall presentation and gameplay, but the maps in both of them and the objectives are different. The two games focus themselves on pitting Batman against two of his most iconic foes, the Penguin and the Joker. Each game can be loaded separately, uh, and whilst the game loads, we do get a rather nice loading screen of the Batman socking it to the uh, Penguin, um, whilst a load of Joker cards laugh on in the background, it's the it's a it's a basic facsimile. It's a it's the uh, cover to the game, and it's done been it's been done pretty well. I think it's a really nice loading screen. This um, very much captures the spirit of the characters. The twin stories that you may play through are as follows, and this is straight from the instructions. The Penguin plot um, is called a bird in the hand. The Penguin, having been released from jail, decides to set up an umbrella production factory near his Gotham City mansion. But, of course, old habits die hard. And this is but a cover, uh, sorry, a cover-up for his ingenious plan to take over the world using an army of robotic penguins. As Batman, can you close down the hidden master control computer and stop this evil conspiracy? It's not a conspiracy. Mm. It's just... It's just Penguin's plan. 
Yeah, his evil deed. His evil, yeah, it's not a conspiracy. Plan, yeah. uh, the Joker plot is called a fate worse than death. And that's F-E-T-E. Robin has mysteriously disappeared. The only clue found is a single playing card. The sign of the infamous Joker, Batman's arch enemy, has returned. On close examination, the Bat computer reveals a secret message hidden on the flip side of the card. Robin heads for a fate worse than death. The fuse is lit, so don't waste time. Follow your nose and remember, there's no place like home. Boom, boom. Can you uncover the mystery? Save Robin and defeat the Joker? Time is running out. So there we go. That's our two plots to play through. It's up to you which one you take on. Both play out very similarly, though. So, uh, you know, probably best to play the Penguin one first. It kind of does drop you in a little bit gentler, I think. Um, When the game loads, we're straight into the action. There's no menu or title screen here. We're just straight in. Batman drops straight down the bat pole into the bat cave and we're off. Sit, you're just in it. Off you go. So the game itself is displayed uh, in a series of windowed panels that kind of iris in and out as you move from screen to screen. It's a flick screen game, but instead of it just flicking to the next one, the the next one, will, the next screen you go onto will kind of iris out and you're into that next one. It's kind of layered on top of the previous window, which turns a deep blue in the background. And as you move from room to room, these sort of layers get more and more and some of them fade out. And it's, quite, it's a nice effect. It's a really good effect. It reminded me very much of the way you move from window to window in Frankie Goes to Hollywood, um, which was a game that Karen Davis, who did the graphics, also worked on. So I think there's some link in there. And it, this this game did, in some instances, remind me a bit of Frankie Goes to Hollywood in the way it kind of, played and walked and round and stuff there's something i think it's in the visuals a bit when you start the game either one so you're in the safety of the bat cave there's nothing here there's um there's nothing that's going to trouble you here and it's here that you're introduced to the game's mechanics batman has a number of moves up his cowled sleeves without the fire button pressed you can move left or right you can go up or down through open doors climb to the right or left up available climbing parts of the level um when you're outside and you do that with the top diagonals or you can crouch left or right with the down diagonals with the fire button pressed you can attack in the direction you are facing with the top diagonal doing a high kick if you point towards it left or right then you do a punch and the down diagonal does a low kick if you pull down and press fire that picks up an object if you are standing over one and the objects in this are just uh, marked like they're like little bat signs in the in the environment and so when you walk over one you pull down press fire and, and you can pick that up and as soon as you do that or if you don't have one of them it brings up your utility belt if you are not because one thing you will notice in the main game is that there's no ui there's nothing all there is on screen is the environment that you're in this is the panel showing the area the screen the sort of whatever it is here there's no ui whatsoever that's all here on the utility belt screen so you pull down, press fire, it brings this secondary screen up. So from here, you can see what objects you've picked up. And they're sort of the, you can carry 12 objects at any one time. The six spaces on either side of the screen. And each time you pick something up, one of those spaces will fill up with whatever it is you've picked up. So it might be a hand grenade, it can be the batarang, it might be a, a funny, I think it's the funny nose or the, the suit or the trainers and things like that. Anything that you pick up will go in one of those slots. You, you can only carry 12 things. You will also see the percentage of the game you've completed at the top. Every time you do something, you complete a little task that goes up. You can turn the in-game music off. There's a little icon to do that. All this is icon driven. Although I did that, I turned the music off and I couldn't get it to come back on again. So it was just silent. So I just reloaded it. So I don't know if it was a bit broken that, but I couldn't get it to come back on. Under that, you've got icons to let you, three icons. One lets you drop something. So if you picked, you know, if you're picking something up and you're already full of stuff, like you might have some food, like a banana and you don't need it, you can put that down and then you can pick up the item that you need. You can return to the game or you can use something. Um, and then under that is the quit game option. Then at the bottom of the uh, utility belt screen, there's the various bars which represent Batman's strength his heart, 
his carry lift ability, and finally is his overall health. Now, if I'm perfectly honest, I don't really know how these work because they're not really explained in the instructions very well, if at all. So there's these four bars that do stuff. They go down and they go back up if you eat things. I don't know. Um, all I know is that I think is if your overall health gets down to zero, it's game over. That's it. Finally, um, if you're playing the second game, so if you're playing the Joker game, there's a series of timers along the bottom of the screen that represent the time left before the bomb strapped to Robin goes off. So you obviously need to get to Robin before they do that. Otherwise, boom goes Robin, I guess. Essentially, what we have here is a flick screen arcade adventure. As Batman, you must navigate the various screens, find the objects, and work out where they are to be used in order to progress and follow the plans of the Penguin and the Joker. And to be fair, there are both some good parts of this game and some not-so-good ones. I think on the good side of the visuals which I thought were pretty excellent. I really like the look of this. Batman and the various goons and enemies are well-drawn and animated, and the backgrounds are very uh, well-realized with good use of color and shading. It's not high-res, but there's just a good style to this. Karen Davis, she's she done a really good job with the visuals here, I thought, um, because it has a it has a feel of ba- the Batman comics. The iris in and out feels like panels in a comic, and there's a really nice style to this. I liked Batman himself. He's a bit chunky. But, you know, it's cool. It's cool. kind of like Dark Knight uh, Returns kind of Batman's sort of era. So I was I was into it. I thought it, was, I thought it looked good. And I thought all the animations, Batman's kicks were all well done. The goons kind of crumple up when you throw a batarang at them or they shoot you. There's little sort of toy things you're all running about. And they're all well animated and it's nice. The backgrounds look good as well. I was, I was quite into this. I thought it looked cool. On top of this, the game runs at a decent pace. You don't run as Batman, but the walking is brisk and the responses to your joystick inputs are fast enough to allow you to do what you want. So no problems there either. The objects you pick up are well-drawn um, and easy to make out what they are. Obviously, they're just an icon thing, but when when you're playing it, but when you get them, when you see what they are, they're actually quite nicely drawn in the utility belt screen. As you progress from screen to screen, I also like the fact that there's a puzzle to solve on that screen. You usually get a little prompt at the top of the window with a handy word highlighted. For example, one door has something about don't pass the door with the word pass in bold, giving you the pointer that you're going to need a pass to get through it, not just a key. Um, Another screen has the words for, the number four, broken machines on it. And you find some tools on that screen. Now, right at the beginning of the game, you've got to fix the back computer. Um, so for broken machines, the tools, all right, these tools will fix the back computer. And so that's quite nice. That's quite a little bit of handy player affordance. And, I, and I kind of that's why I said the uh, Penguin game eases you in a little better to sort of, you know, because it says at the very beginning, it says insert the back disk. You find that the computer's broken, right? I need to fix it. Find the find them, and this is all right. These all items are all very close to you at the beginning, so it's easy enough to sort of get a handle on how these kind of puzzles and these kind of clues work together. I thought that was quite good because using objects is easy enough as well. You just go into the belt screen, you click on the object, and then you click on the use icon, and if it works, you kind of get this nice indication with a big bat symbol going in and out, like you do if you pick something up. Um, and if it doesn't, you get like a clunking sound tell you no you can't do that it's all good it's fine the music from fred gray is also pretty good it's not the same but i got a little bit of a mission ad um vibe from it It, it's not doesn't sound the same there's just a way that it kind of sort of burbles along in the background and and didn't annoy you so i I like that it's quite all right and every now and again it kind of breaks into the iconic batman theme and that was cool so i thought it fit the game pretty well but it's not all good it's not all good once you're at the bat cave and you're onto the streets uh, uh, trying to get into penguin's uh, factory you will very soon be beset by a constant stream of enemies we've moaned about these before and unfortunately they're back again in this game there are some that fly some throw knives some shoot and your progress is constantly hampered by these things one tip i will give uh, is you'll get the batarang near the beginning equip it as you can then throw this instead of punch and hit enemies across the screen to temporarily incapacitate them time to move along or do stuff so 
there is, you know, there is stuff you can do to mitigate that. When flying enemies fly low enough, you can lob the batarang at them as well. But it's a painful annoyance, and I, I don't like it. You can fool the enemies by wearing the comedy nose, which turns your turns you into a pink Batman. You're all, all pink, but this only lasts a short time. When you're wearing that and you're all pink, the, the enemies won't do anything; they'll just ignore you. But it only lasts a short time, so you have to pick. You know, when's the m- most best time to wear this? Um, you can also use the trainees. Um, which are a pair of trainers, and they allow you to move at double speed. Again, limited uh, limited time only. Beyond this, the game constantly sees your various energies going down all the time. And should your overall health run out, it's game over for you. Now, as these bars are on the utility belt screen, it's hard to keep a track on uh, tr- a track on them at a time. Maybe your health, the windows that sort of irising out, don't take up the full screen. So maybe your health could have been on the main screen to help you keep an eye on it a little easier. I don't know. I mean, I would have I would have liked that but it's a pain um you do find sweets and things to eat to regain your strength but the constant plague of enemies and the fact that you are constantly losing all your health is just it's, it's a touch unfair in my book just one or the other not both and you know and better still neither we've said this about constantly roaming enemies so before for all its great looks and good sounds and good ideas the, the constant enemies date this game badly they're like an idea from a previous time this could have taken something from what we saw in yusagi yajimbo or, or even fist 2 and had enemies placed through the levels offering challenges to be overcome rather than the constant barrage of them i get that with the backtracking you know there's a little bit of metroidvania here um you know you're moving about going through room to room but the problem that the, the thing with that is that metroidvania enemies uh like in metroid or castlevania when you kill them they drop health pickups they drop you know ammo pickups so you're being beset but they're constantly giving you health so you constantly have something to do but you constantly get rewarded for it so it's not a pain in the ass this you're constantly bothered and your health's always going down and that's an annoyance. So you need better offensive capabilities to deal with the constant barrage of goons. Like there's ones that keep shooting you or they keep throwing knives and there's the little creatures where you can't bend down and throw your gun, or at least I couldn't, um, and they're constantly sort of bothering you at ankle height and there's nothing you can do about them, which is really, really annoying. So it's a real bit of a shame that because as, as games go, there are some really nice elements to this, but it is beholden to that old school design mentality that we've just moaned about and spoken about before. I don't know. As an attempt at a 2D Batman game, this has some really solid elements to it. I really like the way it looks. I like the way it sounds. And I like the idea that you're not just fighting and stuff. You're trying to solve puzzles and you're being a bit of a detective and working stuff out and being that Batman. And, you know, and it got 92%. At the time, I can see why, you know, they're probably not as bothered by those things as we are. It looks and feels very good. Thematically, they've done a good job of recreating the Batman comics, and you are getting two pretty decent games for the price of one here. The Joker, the the Penguin one sees you infiltrating his factory and and trying to shut it down. The Joker one sees you going through the sewers, and then you're into a sort of like a, a circus or a fate or a carnival, and you're going through them. So there's two, although they play similarly, there's two different areas to explore and two different things to do and things like that. So there's quite you know good value for money here if you like that sort of central mechanic of how this plays. So you know it's. It's just even. It's, it, I just felt it's even more annoying that, that those are somewhat lost in the constant wave of enemies and depleting health. Don't do depleting health. We moaned about this in what is it, the Magic Knight games? It's a stupid mechanic. Batman doesn't go around losing health. No one no, does. It's stupid. It, I don't understand the point behind it. I just don't understand it. And I think you could have done the constant enemies and dropped the depleting health, and it would have still been a challenge. It would have still been tough. But I don't know. There's there's a lot to like here, but some bad design decisions do let it down somewhat. At least that's what I thought. But uh, what about you? Oh, Batman, Batman, Batman. No, 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 and all that. Um, very nice presentation on this. It's an FX, is it, a game? Special, Special effects, effects, isn't it? Yeah. 
They've mm-hmm. got a knack for this kind of nice look to things. You know, the Firefly mm-hmm. was quite good that was by them. And they've got a good styling. And the, this is particularly good for that. So it's got all the presentation and the sprites are very nice. The graphics look very nice. The way it does the panels is very clever. That's all good stuff to like. Mm-hmm. You know, it looks like a Batman comic game. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. We know that you know, there's a whole slew of Batman variations coming. This is, you know, adhering to that kind of panel-based comic. It looks the part, you know, strong graphic design in there, all good. And so it, that, you know, I've got no problem with that. It, it, it does look and feel like it's it's sat exactly where you would expect it to be. The music I found was a tad shrill. Um, I know it's kind of Fred Gray style, but I don't think it suited this game at all. It's kind of a trilled, sort of high-pitched version of the Batman theme that's kind of not quite right either. It's all right, in the suppose, in the sense it burbles in the background, but it doesn't drive anything along. And I'll come back to why that's part of the part of a bigger problem the game itself so it's not a bad idea to make a puzzle game out of the sort of batman thing batman obviously in the context of the comic does a lot of going to the bat cave and analyzing stuff and t- and sort of talking things through and things like that it does feel a bit like a solo player batman in this but batman obviously has a few other people around him and stuff in the comic but i think for me i don't generally like that kind of game mm-hmm. with this kind of navigation but that said you know, I, I persevered. You're getting two games for your money, really, here. Or, but, you know, you're just getting Batman versus the Joker, Batman versus um, Penguin. And that's not bad. You know, two two games. They're both very hard, actually. Mm. Um, quite hard to do. And not just in terms of the constant attacking from the enemies once you're outside of the of the Bat Cave or whatever you call it. But the problem I had with it in, in that sense was that the mapping of this game is quite obtuse. And you're going backwards and forwards a lot in this. The further you get into it, especially in the Joker variation, there's there's a lot of backward and forth. Mm. Now, I don't tend to go for games that are a bit like that because if unless you've got a good variation of background, and this doesn't necessarily, it starts to feel very samey, like you're just wondering. Now, this breaks it up into little panels, so it's not as bad. Mm-hmm. Not as bad as certainly not as bad as something like you know some of the other games we've seen, where you have this kind of and this kind of map view where. Going in and out of things is represented by a little door space at the bottom and a door at the top. All right, that's how you get navigating it. At least this kind of makes contextual sense. And you're not, none of the screens are so big that you're just walking across them for ages. You're just walking across mini panels of a comic. That's all good. That's good styling. That's the way they've managed it. That's good. Mm-hmm. But you still have to do it. That ain't so good. So the two things I would expect from a Batman game for me would be that you would feel a little bit more menace from the sort of main villain, which you don't really get in this at all. And that, well, actually three things maybe that you'd feel the story is compelling enough in that you've got to figure stuff out. Batman does that a lot. Okay. But the fighting needs to be better for Batman games because Batman's essentially, you know, sock, thwack, pang, you know, boing and all yeah. those things. So Batman is about for the fighting. Mm-hmm. Now, he isn't, he isn't a super, he's a superhero, but he's not super. He's just a guy who's rich enough to buy really expensive gadgets and a suit. So he is just old school duking things out. And there needs to be a lot of that in a Batman game for me for it to feel like Batman because that's the part of the Batman shtick is that, you know, he doesn't have superpowers. He just beats people up and gets what he wants and brutalizes, you know, in a brutal world. And the depiction of the world he's in is quite good, but the fighting is very pedestrian. It just feels, yeah. and it's literally, and that's my my biggest biggest problem with the game is that this feels very wandery and very pedestrian for a Batman game. So Batman, as far as I'm aware, doesn't tend to. If you if if you imagine just to, to transcribe this this game into a TV episode of the '60s Batman, if you like. So in this episode, Batman's computer's broken, <laughs> and so he just wanders around left and right, picking things up and trying things. And then he wanders out and then he wanders down and he fights a few people and just wanders walking around and just, where's the Batmobile? 
Where's the climbing up the walls? Where's the stuff that Batman does? Why, you know, why isn't why are the fights so floaty and pedestrian? Why don't anything feel like it has an impact? Those are the things that make Batman Batman. The comic panels, everything else, yes, that's a key part of it, and you've got that. But you forgot about what makes the Batman Batman, not just the comic, but the actual person, the thing. And so you placed him inside an arcade adventure. Okay, I get that. But you forgot about his fighting and you just make him walk around a lot. So it's a walk and seat game. Now, we've not had one of those in a while. And this does it in a nice style with the gusto and the graphics and, you know, even the sound, although I don't like all of it. You know, it's some of it suits it. But when you're walking around, you get kind of this burbly music. It's just not driving an action based game, which is what I thought this would be more of. So it feels like a really, it's like a weird toned down version of Death Wish 3 in a kind of weird way. It's not as bad as that, because Death Wish 3 had its sort of quirks. There's nothing like nothing like that in sense. This is a, like a comic book version of how it should probably be done. It's just I felt it was missing the point of Batman. And that, for me, was a problem. So I liked everything they did. They did it the right way. The code base, everything else, stuff, graphics, everything's all great. The main problem is it's just not very exciting for a Batman game. It's not doing enough Bat stuff True. <laughs> for me. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I, I do get that. I just... Um... This predates like Batman's reinvention in the film and stuff. So, but he's still doing action stuff in the TV show. Is it's an action comic? Yeah, so true. I just, I just don't think that him. You know, it's. I don't think it's very exciting. Just w- walking around, picking things up, and using them in different locations. It is formulaic, and it doesn't go enough. Like I said. I would have liked it to have taken some t- tips from Usagi Yojimbo and made the 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 encounters more encounterful rather than just this constant barrage well, of them. In the comic and in the TV series, which I suppose are the precursors for this variation, the fights happen in a fight space. Yeah, exactly. So Batman goes into a room and the fight breaks out and it's, you know, thwack, it's that. Yeah, that's what I mean. You could have had comic panels to shoot up when you hit someone that said pow or whack, or even little sprites that just popped up and said those things. That would have given it that kind of Batman essence that would have felt a little bit more like what they were trying to do. Without those things, you're just missing the mark, and it just be- feels like it's a bit Batman games. Should they be? Should they be dull? This feel it felt to me as I went through it, and it just seemed to you know, and I seemed to be walking and walking and walking and walking. It's like Batman, you know, Batman goes for a walk was not the most exciting comic book they ever produced, <laughs> and that's what this feels like to me. And I felt it just missed the mark a little bit. Even if they just had some interstitial bits with a penguin, sort of had just had a, even if it was just a screen with a penguin graphics or an image of him on or the penguin or something, and some, you know, some phrase that he said yeah. every now and again, something like that, just to remind you that you're not just Batman wandering around looking for a shoe. That you know you are. There is a bigger mission to this. There is an Im- imminent peril from a you know a villain which you don't really feel. And because of those things, I don't get the 92 percent for this. I'm sorry, I really don't. From the look and feel, okay, it's a nice looking game, but it's not 92 percent sizzler no, for I me. Score, no I way. Score at that now i can see why they gave it that then um but i wouldn't i wouldn't put it that now no no but i'm gonna say um, if you divorce the graphics from the game this looks like an amazing looking game on the c64 i mean the graphics are really good yeah backgrounds look nice i mean i'm not no i've got no question the styling of this game is absolutely you know it's on point it's in the you know it's in the top 10 even top 15 of graphics on the c64 it looks so good mm. but underneath the hood once you lift it up she bought a 911 carrera when you lifted it up it was a uh, it was a fiat panda engine in it like oh <laughs> i mean under, under the hood it's everyone's a wally yeah and it shouldn't be should it, it i mean that's i mean be. that's what it is it's, it's what i said it's a flick screen collectathon and it is that everyone's a batman <laughs> however what i will say though is that um, I did go have a look at the uh, what I would have thought would have been the a, a, a better version of these because normally they are, but the Amstrad version. God, it's ugly. Yeah, <laughs> it's horrible. Yeah. It's all blue and black and just all kinds of wrong. Yeah. And, and the Spectrum version is not much 
I think it's just as bad. So, you know, all told, we weirdly enough, because I sort of associate the Amstrad with sort of colourful, especially these flick screen games where they do they kind of do them much more colourfully mm. and stuff like that. But ooh, something went badly wrong with this one on those machines. So we did get the best version of the game, I think. Um, yes. Maybe on the 8-bit ones. I'm not sure about the 16-bit versions. It's the best comic book style ad- adaptation I've seen since Dan Dare. And that's because yeah. Dan Dare was special. So it's as, it's as good as how it looks, if not better than that. And that's saying yeah. something. But yeah. the other versions... No, 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 no. no. <laughs> That's not a comic book I ever want to read. <laughs> no, no. I mean, the immortal words of uh, B.A. Brockers, don't play that game, fool. He never actually said that, but I thought I'd just paraphr- <laughs> I'd paraphrase him. He might have said something similar. <laughs> he, he, could have, he could have well done. There are lots of episodes of um, uh, the A-Team, and I'm sure at some point someone asked him to play Afterburner, and because he doesn't like planes, he's not going to want to play that. He's not going to want to play that for a lot of reasons. Well, we'll come to that a bit later, but hey-ho. There's Batman. It, I, I do agree. I mean, I, d- I didn't mind it, but it, you are right. I mean, you're right in, in what it does, but I just cut it a bit slack because, I mean, it's it's 8-bit Batman. What can they do, I guess? But... Yeah, it's just, you know, just, I would have liked a little bit more of the Batman-y stuff, but yeah, it does look the part, enough. though. It really does. Yeah, that's fair enough. There we go. That's Batman. That's our first game. Oh, God, we've got eight to get through. We've got loads to do. Let's get on. Let's get on to our next one. And that's over to you, Graham, <laughs> to tell us all about one-on-one, Jordan versus Bird. Now, this isn't a man fighting a giant pigeon. <laughs> that a, was very upsetting a, a, to me. A country versing a, versus a giant pigeon would have been yeah, better. Yeah, it's just, it just, you know, it just isn't, you know, I feel a little bit, you know, the advertising for this, I'm just joking. This is uh, $14.95, though. That's a lot of money, that is. Yeah. A lot of money, a lot of money. This was published by Electronic Arts. Ah, there's the money. There, there it is. is. Uh, Joe Hellison, Hellison and Mark Madland, good name, uh, were the creators of this, as listed on Lemon, I believe. And uh, Rob Hubbard is the musician. I think, is this the first foray for Rob Hubbard on in Electronic Arts? Because obviously he went and did a bit for them. Yeah, he did. I don't know if it's the yeah. first, probably. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's the first. You know what? We could consult the guru. We don't need to. We'll just assume that it's something to do with it. But, you know, wow, 1495, 32% though. Wah, wah, wah. Something's gone wrong. Something's gone horribly, horribly wrong. Okay. <laughs> So who is Jordan and why is he fighting a bird? Well, actually, it's Michael Jordan, or MJ to you and me. Um, That's Michael Jordan. Um, And he's one of the most celebrated professional basketball players of all time. He played for the Chicago Bulls between uh, 1984 to 1993 and 1995 to 1998 and has the kind of sporting hero record that means there is probably a warehouse full of his trophies, medals and winner's certificates. And trainers. About that. Yes, and trainers. An incredible athlete, raw model, and personal friend. Not really. I don't know him. Just thought I'd add that. Sounded good. <laughs> He's here right now. <laughs> Me and Michael Jordan are like this. No, we're not really. Uh, Larry Bird, um, if you don't know, uh, was an equally famous basketball player. And he's also celebrated for um, his amazing skills and contribution to the sport. He played for the Boston Celtics from 1979 to 1992. Mr. Bird, as he likes to be known, also clocked up some unbelievable basketball stats. And so, no doubt, also has a warehouse full of trophies, medals, and winner's key rings. Both of these professional sports people were at the top of their game, and they famously had a rivalry. Now, Mm. that's why this game is existing. The rivalry between Michael Jordan and Larry Bird is one of the most iconic and enduring in the history of basketball. Their careers overlapped during the late 1980s and early 90s, and both players were considered basketball legends in their own right. Larry Bird... A skilled forward for the Boston Celtics was known for his exceptional shooting, caught vision. He was far of vision. And no, I'm joking. That's that, uh, that's that guy of cruel. 
and uh, and his basketball IQ. I don't know what that is, but it sounds very good. Um, he had already established himself as one of the game's greatest players before Michael Jordan entered the league, before he was even around. Jordan, on the other hand, was a rising star for the Chicago Bulls, and his combination of athleticism, scoring ability, and p- competitive drive quickly made him a force to be reckoned with. Their rivalry was fueled by their contrasting playing styles and the desire to establish dominance in the court. Bird, seasoned veteran, and Jordan, the young up-and-comer, often found themselves competing for supremacy in the NBA. Their memorable matchups, including regular season games and playoff series, captivated basketball fans worldwide. While Bird's Celtics initially uh-huh. held the upper hand, Jordan's Bulls grew in strength. That's Bulls. Did you say Bulls? Jo- Jordan's Bulls <laughs> grew in strength. The team he played for, Adrian. Come, come now. The Chicago Bulls. Yes, eventually leading to a power shift in the Eastern Conference. Their intense rivalry extended off the court as well, with both players pushing each other to improve and striving to outdo one another. Despite the fierce competition, there was also mutual respect between Bird and Jordan. As they recognised each other's greatness and shared a commitment to the sport, their rivalry played a significant role in elevating the popularity of the NBA during that era and remains a treasured part of basketball history. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Jordan and Bird, everyone. Here they are. Here they are. Jordan and Bird. Bird and Jordan. I am guessing then that from all that, this game's ace. The Von Trapp family singers. (laughs) The family Von Trapp. Edelweiss. <laughs> so, a game based on these two behemoths. That's got to be something good, right? Right? <laughs> yeah, I right? guess so. well, it must be after all that. Can't be bad. Well, let me just bookend that with a little statement about school sports in the UK in the 80s. Um, during the 1980s, UK taught sports in schools faced several significant problems that hindered the overall development and engagement of kids in the school. Firstly, there was a lack of emphasis on a diverse range of sports and physical activities. With a heavy focus on traditional team sports like football and rugby, or easy to set up, manage things like rounders, etc. This limited approach excluded students with different interests or physical abilities, leading to a lack of inclusivity and reduced opportunities for students to discover and excel in sport that suited their individual preferences and talents. Secondly, inadequate funding and resources for school programs resulted in poorly maintained facilities and limited access to sports equipment, constraining the quality of physical education and extracurricular sports offerings. As a consequence, many schools struggle to provide comprehensive and engaging sports experiences, undermining the potential benefits of physical activity for students' health and well-being. Add to that, teachers tended to sideline or humour pupils that were considered less sporty or not into football, rugby, cricket, etc. The secondary school we attended, it was actually incredibly well-resourced with basketball courts, tennis courts, swimming pools, a huge playing field for football and cricket. And also all the other things you can imagine. It's actually amazing when I think back how much sports stuff we had. Yeah, it was but crazy. what we did not have was the teaching staff that would support that. Nor could they really engage or en- en- encourage everybody to do all the things they wanted to do. Incredibly, you would imagine that a school that had the facilities like that in the UK would be at the forefront of sports education. If it was in the US, it would do. However, it wasn't. Now, why do I go, why am I boring you with all of that stuff? Well, because basketball was something that never got any airplay really on TV at that time nor did it get much time at schools. We played it a bit at school, but not to any great extent. Nor dedication or time that other sports did. So it was kind of a thing that you might have done a little bit. We did a little bit of it at school, 
but nowhere near as much as the compared to football would be and all the other stuff. No, there were pockets of this in pockets of this in the UK and some clubs. I don't doubt in the cities maybe, but for us rural English counties folk, not so much basketball. Just no, there just wasn't. Nowadays, this is different. But back then, I had no idea who Michael Jordan was. Maybe something to do with trainers and Larry Bird. No idea. Tweety's cousin, maybe a brother of Big. <laughs> So unusually for a game like this, this is a one-on-one basketball sim where you go head-to-head for some b-ball action, taking the role of either of these superstars of the hoop. I've made that term up. I don't believe that's what they would have ever been called. I'm sure they Um, would. It starts with a clunky sample-loaded Rob Hubbard tune on the loading screen, which is horrible. So put it out there. Say what it is. It's horrid. One-on-one. One-on-one. It's horrible. Horrible thing. Horrible. It's terrible. Half sampler will use. Should have not been his t-shirt he wore that day. A horrible thing. So I think it's dreadful. Then when the you know loading happens after that, and then you'll get your screen of options. Lots of options here. So you can choose to be Michael Jordan or Larry Bird. You can choose whether a computer's gonna be one of those or not. You can choose the computer level right the way from and I forget what they call them, but you know, it's in the collegiate language of basketball, but it goes from, you know, novice to champion kind of thing. You can choose the length of the quarters, you can choose the value of slam dunk points. You can have a follow the leader. You can choose whether there's fouls, whether there's winners in and out, clear the ball, statistics. There's a whole bunch of options which will mean so much to you if you know about Michael Jordan and Larry Bird and one-on-one basketball, but which will mean very little if you don't. They're just text options that you go, ooh, what does that do? Not good things. There's all variation of different kinds of play of this. There's one-on-one full game, one-on-one to 15 points, one-on-one to 11 points, a one-on-one warm-up, a slam dunk contest, slam dunk warm-up, three-point contest, three-point warm-up. <laughs> all that stuff is amazing, isn't it? Great. It, it all is. plays the same, though. No matter what, which way you do it, the game will begin, and then you're going to feel it yourself go, oh, okay. <laughs> so you'll be presented with the court, and whichever control you've decided for whichever play you've designated... Obviously, the aim of this game is to score. And it's a one-on-one game, so it's just you, you know, mono in mono, but Jordan versus Bird. In order to do this, when the game starts, you'll see your game view. The top of the screen, you've got your timer, you've got your current scores, um, you've got the countdown clock, you've got Jordan and Bird on there in text, so indicating, you know, which parts of that particular score chart. It's not very engaging, but it's there. Underneath that, you've got the basketball hoop on a sort of purpley-blue wall. And then you've got sort of the parts of the court, and I'll explain what they are. And then on the bottom of that, you'll have your sprites, which at this point, before they move, look like quite big, big sprites. You think, oh, okay, no, this could be all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it won't last. So you control whichever play you've designated. Obviously, the aim is to score. You do so. You do this to score. You do this by shuffling, weaving, bobbing, ducking. I don't know the terminology around your opponent, and then getting the ball in the hoop. That's the plan. <laughs> You control your player with the joystick, taking it in turns to start with the ball and try and score. The game is played looking towards the basketball hoop from just beyond the mid-court line, just kind of at the three-point line, but before the free-throw circle line. If you don't know what that means, go and look it up. Um, you'll see both Bird and Jordan in sprite form, and depending on whether you are starting with the ball or defending, you will be facing towards or away from the screen. The graphics are classic, C64 slightly blocky, but they do look like basketball players, and the players are both of the correct ethnicity is nice to see so then you will move and that is when you'll go the animation (laughs) is skippy possibly even frame skippy um you don't so much animate as kind of exist in a kind of frame rate animated space so you kind of hop and fidget and slide and run and fidget and gibbet and and it's horrible and so you're kind of shuffling really around the screen and this is meant to be kind of a fast basketball thing and it just doesn't feel like that so as you flicker and sort of, you know, shuffle and fidget around the screen, eventually you'll get to a, throw the ball or attempt to throw the ball or even attempt to try and jump up and put it through the hoop. 
by pressing the fire button. Maybe, maybe that's what happens because <laughs> I've just kind of, I'm not sure what was happening at this point. He's talking, <laughs> I'm not sure if I was doing anything or the computer just took over. It didn't quite make a lot of sense. The controls are somewhat, I felt, quite badly responsive as well. So when I pressed the button, it didn't immediately do the thing I was expecting to, which would be like, just jump or do something. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what was happening. Was I in control of anything? I don't know. I scored three times. Or at least I think I did. Anyway, so I have no <laughs> idea if that's what's meant to happen, but that's just how it is. So it's not. it doesn't look very good when you start moving around. Everything starts to fall apart. There's no physics to anything. The ball kind of fidgets with you. You sort of sideways scuttle like a crab at one point. It's not nice. That I'm pretty sure that if Jordan or Bird, and I'm not you know, placing the responsibility of this on either of their you know, seven-foot shoulders, that they didn't do that in the ring. Professionally, they didn't just go, Jordan's got the ball. He's scuttling like a crab. That's something we've never seen before. They he's don't the, do that. He's doing the Jordan crab. <laughs> he's doing the Jordan crab. He's, it's a bird crab. He's got the bird crab, the anti-bird crab move. I don't know. I just don't think that's the thing. And so that's, but that's it. That's for this game. That's it. It's loads of variations of that game, that one-on-one game, whether it's, you know, shoot the hoop, hoop the shoot, drop it in, do whatever the names, the names of the games are. That's what it is. It's not very exciting. There's no crowd. There's no atmosphere. I mean, this is George, this is like when, uh, when Rocky takes on, um, uh, in Rocky two at the end where they're just, you know, ding, ding. It's just the two of them fighting out in the ring. Nobody's there. No crowds. No, Rocky it's three. like that. But Rocky, yeah, it's just, you know, just, this isn't very good. No. Considering the status of these two world-class athletes, this game ain't doing them any favours at all. It feels clunky to operate and is, I think, massively underpolished for something of this price tag and with these kind of esteemed licensed players and team names and all of that stuff in it. That's, I guess, where the £15 come from because you know, you've know you got some heavy licensed sports people in it. Uh-huh. 32% from Zap, I'd have given this a lot less. In fact, I go as far as to say... I'm flipping this one the bird. But what about you? Very good. Very good. I like that. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> how is this so jerky with so little on screen? I mean, how? I don't get it. You think something he like... He does the jerky move. <laughs> you, th- you think of something like Barbarian, which has comparable, if not bigger, sprites and stuff, and moving smoothly and spinning around. Or, yes, yes, know, it IK does. IK Plus and things like that. What, you know, and all the backgrounds, the animations, the music. I'm looking at a screenshot right now. Behind the basket, it's just blue. It's just solid blue. Yeah, there's not a lot there. The court is a pale blue and grey, pale grey. Yes. Uh, What is this? Yeah, the player's maybe big and well-grown, but it's so jerky and not very smooth (laughs) at all. It's just rubbish. I was expecting something better than this from, you know, as you said, from EA, from the heritage thing. I was 32%. I was thinking, it can't be that bad. It's worse. Even that game we played way back, way back when, two-on-two, the two-on-two one by GameStar, where it sort of flipped. Yeah, that was better. That was better than this. That was better. Yep. This, let alone international basketball or that fast break we played the other week, which, which we was yep. okay on. All better than this rubbish. 15 quid. What a joke. I didn't care for this at all. I mean, this is just a port of the old 1983 basket game one-on-one with Julius Irving and Larry Bird. Because <laughs> there's, there's already been a version of this. It was in 1983 yeah. when he had his rivalry with Julius Irving. So, Because yeah. I, I thought this was a late release, and I thought, oh, no, oh, it's actually different. So I went and looked, and there is a Commodore 64 version of the Irving and Bird game. Mm. And it looks better than this. Looks better than this. Even for 1984, whenever it was. 1989, this. This is dreadful. 32%. You're having a laugh. No, no chance. No, no. Do you know something that made me, was a little bit unnerving for me when I was playing this? What's that? I don't know if you noticed this, but, and I'm, again, it's just, it's just, I know it's a you know, limitation of the C64, but Bird obviously is wearing a um, sort of a brown shorts and a brown vest. 
And then so and then, then and obviously then you've got um, Jordan who's wearing a pink yes yeah. and pink I'm looking shorts. at it now yeah they're they're inverse yeah they're they're they're, they're not just inverse but it's like they're wearing it's, it's like he's wearing a flesh <laughs> version of his basketball <laughs> clothes which is kind of weird I mean that would be intimidating yeah. if he walked out in sort of man flesh no this is this is you know battle of the giant seven foot orcs I think but it's just I found that a bit weird I think it what is. they're wearing it, it looks like birds wearing bananas for shoes and Michael Jordan's got white hair as well I think I, it, maybe he did at that time I wonder did he I don't know that for sure. I, 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 I genuinely I know so little about basketball that I've exhausted everything I know already that's, I'm looking, that's at, the, I'm looking at the cover and he's got black hair he's always had black hair I've never known him well, to have white hair Something tells me they've exceeded the sprite limitations of the C64 with its cosy three-colour sprites. So. <laughs> True. Well, in fact, he had very, he's very close-cropped, almost like a, you know, it's just, it's just yeah. a skinhead almost. You know, it's just very close-cropped hair. We don't need any. No. Right. It ain't great. It's a terrible game, this. Just terrible. Mm, just for Let's that move money, along. goodness me. Yeah, hopefully the next one will be better. <laughs> And our next one is, well, it's the it's the first, again, another one I thought we'd had a game based on this film, but we haven't because that was Splitting Images. This is Spitting Image. Spitting Image. It is. £9.95. Yeah. It's, as I said, it's the first official Spitting Image game we've had. And I'm just going to put it out there. It's not very good. <laughs> Mm. it's not very good we've spoken about spitting image before in one of the many tv sections we've done they've come up and we've discussed what it is in case you missed that though spitting image was a satirical tv show that parodied celebrities and politicians of the time through the use of caricature puppets um it ran for several years spawned songs and books and what have you and it was you know i think it was at half past 10 on a sunday night it used to be on very popular it was very very popular um spawned a number one single the chicken song um and everything like that so and it you know poked fun at all the, the you know the great and good or whatever you sort of thing. and no one was safe no one was safe everyone got you know whatever uh stories such as uh the president's brain is missing about ronald reagan and things like that it had the tories as kind of like a s uh, you know an snm party and all kinds of weirdness finally now it has spawned a game and there's a story behind this game i'm just going to paraphrase it i can't bother to read it out but um to paraphrase it a prophet has seen that seven years in the future, a war will break out that will leave only one leader in place. And it is your task to stop this leader and prevent the war from happening or whatever. I don't think it really matters, but there you go. Really? And, and and I was thinking, you know, before I went into this, reading that story, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm expecting a bit of an adventure game or something here. I'm expecting a sort of flick screen adventure type thing, maybe meeting the various characters on the show as you try and work out, I think something like a flunky or whatever, just to, you know, as you try and work out who's behind everything and stop them. But but no, 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 no. What we have here is a knockoff Yiya Kung Fu for some reason. We do. I don't know. This was released by Domark for £9.95. £9.95, £10. Mm. It was developed by Walking Circles with code by friend of the podcast, I'm very sorry, Carlton, Carlton Handley. But it's your first game, I believe, sort of thing. And you go on to better things. We'll just say that. Visuals by David Fish and music by negative time loop practitioner David Whitaker. Um, <laughs> uh, once the game loads up, we get a decent menu screen ready with the six leaders. And this actually does look quite nice, this title screen. It's got the six mm. leaders who will be taking part in the fight, and they're dotted around the edge. So this title screen's like they've got the six leaders, three on either side. And they, to be fair, they do look like they're spitting image puppet caricature versions. So they actually are, these are quite well drawn. In the middle, there's a shape of a, a like a cartoon. It's like the earth, but it's in the shape of a cartoon bomb. Um, and that's in the middle of the screen. So it was something bad's going to happen. At the top, I think there's, there's, uh, 
Queen Elizabeth on a stamp. Anyway, so this is confusing from the start because the first thing you need to do is you've got an arrow. You can choose one or two players if you want, but if you're a single-player game, you've got to select your opponent from the various characters around the edge. And the characters we play as, there's the six of them. There's Maggie Thatcher, there's Ronald Reagan, there's Mikhail Gorbachev, there's the Pope, there's P.W. Bota, and there's the Ayatollah Khomeini. So, as I said, nobody was safe. <laughs> they, everybody was in spitting image. Everyone got um, lampooned. Yeah. And then you must select who you're going to fight as. That seems oddly backwards to me. Yeah. Is it to you as well? Like, you pick your yes. opponent, and then you pick who you are. I don't... Yeah, weird. Don't, that's odd. Anyway, once you've done this, the game lo- the game loads. It's a multi-load, so every stage loads in. So it loads in the fighters and the arena and the fighting starts. Each arena is different, and there's different ones. There's like a concert. There's like a fast food restaurant. I think there's outside Parliament, I think. I'm not quite sure. I can't remember. I didn't play enough of them, too, because I was like, no, I'm not, I've had enough. Controls are simple enough. Um, you've only got three, well, sort of three basic attacking moves, and that's, you know, you press up, you press towards, or you press down and you press fire at those times, and they'll do an attack. If you press away and fire, you do your special move. Sometimes that's spitting on people, if you're the Ayatollah Khomeini, I think it was. You can spray mm. a pipe. There's a whip for Margie Thatcher. None of them are particularly great. If you uh, Without the fire button pressed, up does a jump, down does a duck, which is pointless, up diagonals do a jump in which direction you push, and left and right and move. That's it. That's it. You've got three attacking moves, well, four if you count the special, you've got four attacking moves, and you can jump about a bit, and that's it. The fighting feels, like I said, like it's taking elements from Ya Kung Fu. There's loads of jumping about. You don't jump massively up, but it's just fast jumping left and right all over the place. And it's got the health system of night games, combat games. Um, so you've got like a health bar on the sides of the screen that's got like a little icon for something or thing. I think Ronald Reagan's like hot dogs and things like that. Um, and as you take hits, the, those health bars go down and and so blah, 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 you know, until you hit to zero. And each fight is the best of five. So when one of your health bars hit zero, that's that round over. Um, and when over this, like at the top of this screen, there's Queen Elizabeth II in a stamp and she comments on it, go, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. says that it seems like we need to fight again and this, who, whoever's going to win the next one, depending on what it is. And like I said, if you win three out of five, then well done. If you lose three out of five, it's game over. Uh, but if you win three out of five, you go back to the menu screen, you pick another opponent, and then you pick who you want to play as this time. So you're not tied to the same fighter each bout, which, again, is a, it's an odd way to do a fighting game. It's, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen this where you can fight whoever you want, whenever you want, as you really want. It's just very strange. Should you take out all the other characters, then you face off against the secret final boss to win the game and stop the war and what have you. Uh, the visuals in general, title screen excluded, are very bitty. And whilst the characters, the backgrounds are bitty, they're not, you know, you have to squint and they're kind of, oh yeah, I can see what it is now. And the fights, you know, the characters in the fights are quite small. They're smaller than the Ya Kung Fu characters, but they're quite small. They vaguely resemble their TV puppets, but they're not very well animated. There's not many frames of animation here. In fact, you know, the punches and stuff or whatever, as you knock them out and as they take blows, are like one frame is like, uh, 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 uh. It's, you know, it's not great. The sound, the title screen tune, it does have the show's tune, I guess, but it's only like 40 seconds on, but dun, 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 so it does have it. But the yeah. rest is pretty rudimentary. The main issue with this is just that the fighting is terrible. It's terrible. As a one-on-one fighter, it was bettered by the games I've already mentioned three years ago. Yeah, Kung Fu had its issues, but was still okay, and was still better than this. Night Games was a good laugh with all its combat fans, whether you're flailing maces and things like that, way better. This is none of the appeal of either of those games. It's not as bad as, obviously, we've seen worse, things like Ninja Hamster. But when you factor in the IKs and things like that of the gaming landscape, this is very little going for it, apart from you'd have to be a massive fan of Spitting Image to want to sort of get in on this. The backdrop's a little different, I guess, and they've tried to include the humour of the show 
you know, with the sort of comments from Maggie and the and the characters and the mm. things like that and the, the silliness of it all and the special moves. But when the core component of the game is just rubbish, no amount of polish can make this shine. This, this just, no, it's, it's not very good. I'm sorry. It's a it's a bad fighting game. And I think 39% was being a bit generous, if I'm perfectly honest. Sorry. But there you go. What did you think? Some of the graphics were okay, like you say. But for a fighting game, well, the fighting was too small and not impactful enough, was it? No. I can sort of see the direction they were aiming for, I think. Big picture, you know, uh, that kind of proto Smash, Super Smash Brothers, is it? That kind of smaller characters. Not Yao Kung Fu, but characterizations, caricatures Maybe. of things fighting. But it, it's not there yet, is it, this? No. Um, doesn't capture any of the anarchic nature or satire of this spitting image show. And I think that's a problem, really, because it is a political satire show with puppets. It's not puppet the Muppet show with, you know, doing politics stuff. Which is why and I thought an adventure game, as you spoke to character, may have sort of tied yeah, into this yeah, really yeah, because yeah, of that yeah, text completely. and speaking. And- completely. So, well, that would make sense because if you're going to boil something complex like political satire down, it doesn't boil into a fighting game. It just doesn't make sense. This game makes no sense. It does. There's no line that you can draw from political political satire puppet show to one-on-one fighting game a la Yao Kung Fu. It just, there's just no line there. It doesn't make sense. I mean, maybe there's some fun in watching the political figures of the time try and beat on each other. I don't think, though. It's very dated. I guess it's of its time. The music was a passable Whitaker version of the spit and image music, but you know Whitaker gave it his usual you know, forty-six second attention. But other than there being some nice graphics here and there, these kind of fighting games like this, like we saw with that Ninja Hamster, they just have a very short appeal. Where you've got you know smaller characters doing fighty stuff, they just don't really work very well. Nope. Not in a world of IK plus international karate, way of the exploding fist, Yusaki Yajimba, where we've seen bigger characters. And caricatures doing more interactive stuff like that. It just, you know, you're boiling it down to something that makes no sense for this and then sticking quite a high price tag on it, which is odd because the audience for this wouldn't have been people generally that would have necessarily gone for this. It's it's all kinds of all over the place. Yeah. And for that reason, and the code, you know, the code side, you know, I know it's it's Carlton and, and it's the code is nothing wrong with the code in the sense that it's, it's all working really well and all the rest of it. It's all good. And it's, you know, if it's his first game, then, you know, fair play, there's a lot of good stuff going on in there. But unfortunately, it's a bit of a misfire as far as a game design goes and the fun of the game isn't there, nor is the satire of anything. So just watching Margaret Thatcher hit Ronald Reagan over the head repeatedly um, would have would have been fun in a TV show with it dappening with puppets. Doesn't work here, though, does it? It doesn't work yeah. in tiny 8-bit sprite version. So now, sorry, it wasn't my cup of tea. And as you rightly say, 39% is actually quite high for a game of this type. Sad mm-hmm. to say, it's not very good. But some of those graphics are quite nice. But other than that, no. There we go. That's spitting image. Let's move on quickly. We've got we've still got one more game to get through this part. Another five still to come. Loads to do. So let's let's waste no time. Let's get straight into it. Graham, it's over to you. Is it I you know better? I, is it better to be dead than alien? Better dead than alien. What an odd thing this really. <laughs> Nine pound ninety five. This uh, cost another high price. Published mm. by Electra Software. Design was Jason Kingsley. The coder was Stephen Dunn. The musician was Mark Tate. Um, this scored 66% in Zap at the time, which is, I suppose, best you can say about that is it's kind of you know, middle of the road, dare I say it? It's two-thirds. <laughs> two-thirds, yeah. It's just a bit, nah. Anyway, so this is described by themselves as an ultimate shoot 'em up I'm not so sure about that. Mm. Um, it says in the blurb, prepare to do battle as you and galactic hero Brad Zoom face the most revolting life forms ever to pollute the universe. Watch the horror 
as sickening waves of malformed mutants threaten to obliterate freedom and democracy. Risk your lunch as you and Brad choose between decency and annihilation. Uh, Okay, all right. Your mission is to wipe out alien waves as they appear in the battle zone. Be prepared to face all manner of unearthly beings. Some may be easily destroyed. Do not be deceived. Those that come after can be stubborn and lethal. But do not fear. Help is at hand. You can win devastating extra battle powers and... During master alien waves, the freedom to move over the entire battle zone. An alien is at its weakest when its eyes glow in putrid green. Blast a greenie, <laughs> dear, and it will release a power capsule which can be picked up by your ship. The power capsule can recharge your power bars or, if one of the panel icons is flashing, boost your firepower with the indicated destructive intensifier. Um, normally, any enhanced firepower you gain will be exhausted by the end of the current wave. Blast. The last greenie in a wave, however, and the power is so attained and will carry on through to the next level. Okay, so, and I'll talk about what the extra weapons are in a little while, but essentially, no, it's a fairly straightforward game. You know, kill everything. Mm-hmm. Going to fake forward logic there. Um, so um, I think the first thing to say about this is all hail medium res. <laughs> now, good old colourful medium res. Good old blocky, sideways, colourful medium res. This is a simple game, isn't it? Shoot everything. Shoot, you can't really argue with that. Nope. It's a Space Invaders throwback or homage or reimagining. I don't know what you call that at this point. Whatever you call that, um, that is what it is, okay? It's an okay title screen with a nice circle sprite type effect, sort of rotating around. Gives you a nice greets you when you get in there. There is also a, lo- a loading screen. So the title screen is just kind of text when that's nice sprite effects. I'll talk about that in a little while. There is a loading screen according to Lemon. That looks okay. You can see a screenshot of that in the uh, on Lemon if you go there for this. The title screen, however, is just the name of the game at the top with its copyright a nice typeface, though I thought it's okay. There's the put the you know it's not the Commodore font. There's that sprite spinning thing, which you know looks okay. And then the UI for the game is also at the bottom of the screen. I never know if I like that or not with these games. Don't you know? It well, just the, feels the like UI being yeah, it's just on the title screen. It's just a bit like you no, know, okay. But I don't know. I don't know if I like it or not. Maybe not here. I don't because the UI looks like it was badly built out of character graphics, and they don't know it was an afterthought at best. There's no style to that. It's just blocks yep. with sort of you know scraggy bits of graphic on it. So the we may as well start with the UI, I suppose, at the bottom of the screen there, because uh, you choose the options at the top to kick things off, really. And you've got like a one-player, two-player game, I think. You've got level practice. You can switch the music and sound effects on off. There's even a video color mode. Seems to be populous with a few of these games where you can mm. turn the color off or on. I'm guessing maybe for, I don't know, for what purpose you would do the black and white tellies. I don't know. It doesn't seem to do a great deal of stuff, really. Um, so once you do that, you can choose your options and you can sort of, and then there's a start the slaughter option, which obviously is where the games begin. You, UI is at the bottom of that. Uh, you've got, your, obviously, you've got your score in there. Then you've got the eight power-up indicators, um, which I'll go through in a moment. So once you kick things off, aliens appear in lines, waves. You shoot all of them to progress and repeat. Eventually, you'll shoot, you'll get through, I think, three or four of those, then you'll get a giant alien of some description, which you then shoot. So, one big one, you shoot that, and then it goes back to the next screen of a wave of aliens in a slightly different pattern, but similar kind of you know, order. So, row upon row, sort of wiggly waggling, shoot them. Some of them move and fly a little bit, but it's just this kind of a mixture between space invaders and galaxians, really, and yep. that kind of sort of logic. Some of them will drop those extra weapon things that you can collect. And when you do that, um, you can then, if you it, obviously it's the flashes, and if you get the right greeny or whatever you call it, you can have um, laser scatter bolts, multiple blast, auto repeat, um, armor missiles, stuns, neutron bombs, clone ships, and shields. Um, and it sort of goes from a sort of a left to right um, across the bottom. You've got this row of icons, eight icons. I won't describe the icons because it's hard to describe an icon. But there's, you know, there's it's like if I said to you, there's a Z, a bullet next to a blob. It's okay, we know. Yeah, yeah there's yeah, icons. Yeah, 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 there's icons <laughs> at the bottom, and they they mean stuff. 
The in-game graphics are small, bitty, and very, very medium res. I mean, oh, the commitment to the medium res for this game. <laughs> and I admire equipment like that. The colors are okay if you've got color on. Music is not quite a jaunty number. Not wholly suited to this kind of thing, really, but it's okay. It all feels budget, but this isn't at budget price. Um, it's reasonably well put together, but it's just there's a lot. This is a lot of money for a jacked up Space Invaders, which is what this is. Uh-huh. Now, at ten pounds, I'm not sure where the value is coming from for this. It plays fast enough. The code base is, you know, okay. It's not what you call buggy, but there's not a lot. I mean, if they if you can't master a Space Invaders game. Many years after Space Invaders and Galaxians and already have already been done. And these remember these variations of this have been out on the platform since 1983-84. This isn't adding a great deal to that space. There's a little bit of fancy, you know, some some stars in the background on some of it, and maybe the graphics are quite, you know, it's, it moves around quite fast, but it's not doing a whole lot of innovative stuff. Now, there's nothing that a shooter hasn't done a million times before and better. I mean, are you are you gonna put this, really gonna put this side? By side with any one of the other amazing shooter ups that we talked about, put this just put it next to Delta, which is quite old. Mm-hmm. I'll put this next to Warhawk, which was budget. I'll put this next to um, what's the really fancy one, the, the, the Hunter's Moon or Armalite. Put it next to Armalite. So you're paying this, you know, you're paying top whack for this. Are you really going to align this to that? Mm-hmm. They're just not comparable. This should be a budget game. This should be. I mean, at one ninety nine, I'd say okay, maybe the four ninety nine it might kill a couple of hours for a ten pounds. Dream on. Now, I don't think it's a terrible game. I think it's a terrible price, but I don't think it's a very exciting game and it's not doing anything really that innovative. In fact, it almost feels like it's a student's first game. And oftentimes you get these kind of games like that, which maybe it was, I don't know, maybe it was. But for me, 1989... And, it, and where we've had some really complicated, crazy game code and stuff like that. This feels like that other game that we had. What was it? Blip or Blop or whatever it was. So the one that was, you know, 6,000 ways of playing Pong. It's not as bad as that. But I know what but, you mean. I know what you mean. But it's just, you know, but it's a, it's, it's a retro revisit when retro isn't a thing. Nobody wanted this. There's already games that are better than this anyway, doing this exact thing, if not better. I don't see what this is bringing to that pie. And at full price, I'm sorry, but, you know, your name's not Dave and you're not coming in. Um, <laughs> what about you? No. Well, I mean, just to sort of, before I go into what I want to say sort of thing, considering we had games like we've had, we looked at that Mooncrester, that was better probably. We looked at Gaplus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Doing more interesting but, Gaplus was way better than this. Um, but this is um, Jason Kingsley's game, isn't it? It's his first solo game. Um, so he did work something, I think, on that that uh, True Pursuit one, but this is his first solo game by the looks of it. He went, I mean, I mentioned before, he, he came on to found Rebellion, you know, do Sniper Elite, Zombie Army, Strange Brigade, Rogue Trooper, Aliens versus Predator. It's one of the big software houses in the UK. Um, yeah, yeah, I get uh, it. I get it. Well, don't mean, yeah, don't excuse this. No, no, but where you were saying like his first game, it is his first game. Um, so, in, and you think that's a spot on, a spot on sort of, it's like, feels like a Rayburn game to me, an early Rayburn game. Well, it says designed by Jason Kingsley, but it says conversion by Steve Dunn. So, I don't mean that oh, it's maybe Steve Dunn, maybe then. the, maybe because Steve Dunn did the code. So, Jason Kingsley did the design, but I don't mean, you know, it could be a bit of uh, possibly six or one and a half a dozen of the other. Yeah. Um, it's got like uh, my first, um, Comment on this, it's a strange old thing, but £10, £10 though. This is budget game fodder written all over it. I don't know why this is £10. If this had been two quid, I'm very the same as you. If it had been two quid, I'd have probably received this much better. It's just yeah. Space Invaders, Galaxians, and Asteroids. I mean, those interstitial bits where you're shooting rocks that split into smaller rocks and smaller yeah, rocks. Yeah. That sounds very familiar, except I can't rotate. Yeah. 
I did like <laughs> when some of the music is ripped off from all over the place. There's a Galactica sting. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, a little, um, little and also the Galactica bit. The in there. music, I think, on the first level of the Rangers is uh, Assault on Precinct 13 ripoff. I think. Oh, I didn't get that. But... It's definitely a Carpenter piece. Um, it's it's uh, it's the I'll chord, take your word for it's it. It's the chord sequence. I was like, why have I heard that? I think it is. I might be wrong, but it's a Carpenter piece. It's like you said. It's not much to look at. This is it. Medium resin, all its glory. But you know, it's mindless fun. But it's ten quid. Take you out. I mean, nice explosions and the sprite multiplex, though. But I mean, you can see where it splits when you bullet pass over because it moves a bit to the left. But it's ten pound. This should never have been a tenner. Not ever. This is a budget game and two two quid. Uh, you know, like you said, Warhawk. What was what was that other budget? I mean, we played that other one by what's he say, Gary Biasillo the other week, not too long back. That oh, sort of left God, to right yeah. shooter. Things like things, things like we've had things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there are loads of you know shooters now that came out ages ago. I mean, Sanction and Delta are probably all available. Budget it's ten pound for this. Sit this like you said next to Armalite, or you can't sit it next to Catechist, but Denarius or R Type and things like that that are out now and coming along. Just no, just too simple, too too basic budget fodder. But ten pound, yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. no, no, no. There we go. It's probably best not to be dead than an alien. There we go. That's mm. our first four games. We're going to go away. It's quite a long section, that. We're going to take a quick break. I'm going to have a drink. We're going to come back, and we're going to get into singles. Singles, Graham, from March 1989. Um, so we will see you in a short moment. And we are back. We are back for singles in March 19, 1989. Let's get straight into them. Number one uh, for the first two weeks, Graham, was Too Many Broken Hearts by Jason Donovan. Too many broken hearts. Or is it too many broken carts in a world where um, lots of carts got broken? Too many broken darts? Maybe you've been playing lots of, uh, oh no, Mario Kart went out by this point. Um, I don't know. It's a stock ache in a Walkman song because it's Jason Donovan and he was you know, one of their acts. Very catchy, but so was the plague. <laughs> well, that's all I'm saying about it. <laughs> Not everything that's catchy is good, you mean? Yeah. That what you're yeah. saying? <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's just, you know, I don't like Jason Donovan. I didn't like this song, um, you know, and maybe there are too many broken hearts, Jason, but what would you know about it? That's what I'm saying. Well, probably not, actually, because he was really crazy good looking. What was back the second note? It's too many broken hearts in the world. There's too, too many, many people been broken, broken into. into. Is That's it a weird broken? line, isn't it? Is that that might too not be hearts. right? It must be too many hearts have been broken into. It must be. Yeah, uh, can't be too many people. Although it could be people. <laughs> Who knows? If it's <laughs> too knows? many people have been broken into, it's like just going around snapping I don't people. Know. I'm glad I don't remember the lyrics. Really, I'm glad about that. Absolutely. <laughs> well, he is. He is named after a a vehicle that delivers meat, isn't he? Yeah, Don- Donovan. Yeah, Donovan. Donovan. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> um, for the f- final two weeks of the month a bomb drops basically it's like a prayer by Madonna mm. controversial controversial Graham well it was um, the video was actually perhaps a little yes, more exactly. than the song the yes. video was very controversial um, Madonna described like a prayer as the song about a passionate young girl so in love with God that it is almost as though he were the male figure in her life Okay, okay. She has a thing about fathers in her songs, doesn't she? Papa Don't Preach, I guess. Yes, yeah, absolutely. This was actually, it's a good song, this, with very intense production. But this was Madonna just into her 30s at this point. I think she she was 30, or 30th birthday was that year this came out. She hadn't recorded anything for about a year and a half at this point either. Mm. Um, so, because she'd been trying to get into acting, hadn't she? And that had kind of gone, you know, you know nosedived a bit. So didn't, oh, yes. didn't go down so well. So this was kind of the return, wasn't it? But the video for this was highly controversial. It upset religious groups all over the world, including the Vatican, of course. 
who immediately protested the video saying that it showed blasphemous uses of Christian imagery. And they called for a national boycott of Pepsi. I mean, the, the Catholic Church versus Pepsi seems like a crazy thing. But that, you know, it happened. It's like something in our neuromancer future. <laughs> After she performed it in a Pepsi commercial and PepsiCo subsidiaries, including KFC, Taco Bell and Pizza Hut. The church versus Pizza Hut. It's just you couldn't make it up, could you? It's, it's, an, it's MTV. It's that, what was that <laughs> sort of animated fight thing they used to have? Oh, gosh, what was that called? Um, oh, it'll come back to me. It will do. Pepsi explained the differences between their advert Madonna's artistic opinions in the video and later uh, gave in to the protests and cancelled the campaign. Crazy. Pope John Paul II got involved. Can you believe that? And encouraged fans to boycott the singer in Italy altogether. I mean, goodness me, if you're going to make an impact with a song, you know, the Pope saying don't buy it. I mean, what? Say what? I don't know. I mean, okay. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm not criticizing anyone's religious choices and, and, or anything like that. You know, you believe in what you want to believe in. That's fine. It's totally cool. But, you know, it just seems mad that it went as high as the Pope. You know, the head of the Catholic Church said, in nomine padre spiriti, don't buy that bloody record. <laughs> yeah, but I reckon how many people did buy it because he said don't. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's, 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 we call it the relax paradox. You missed it, though. No. I was say, I thought you was going to say, Popey don't preach, then. I was waiting for that. <laughs> no, Popey, oh. yeah. <laughs> pa- Papal don't preach. Papal don't preach. Anyway, there you so go. in reality, you know, short, the, the TLDR of that situation is Madonna managed to piss off the Pope. Absolutely. This time it's religious. religious. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, no, it's just like I'm saying, yeah, but Papal don't preach. I love that. Madonna versus the Pope would have been a good... It was Celebrity Deathmatch. Celebrity Deathmatch. They probably did do that in Celebrity Deathmatch. It should have been, yeah. Oh, crazy that a song could cause so much trouble. So much trouble. Well, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, you don't don't mess with the Vatican. They send the best, uh, you know, exorcist out who happens to be Russell Crowe <laughs> with a really dodgy accent. If, if, if that documentary I watched the other week is anything to go by. Yeah, exactly. Oh, they'll get that guy. What's that guy? That's that movie, is it? Not the one with the God particle in it, the other one. And the one with the paintings of... No, oh, you know what? I can't remember what it's called. It doesn't matter. Angels and <laughs> assholes, whatever it's called. It Angels matter. and demons. That's, those damn brown books are so stupid. Don't get Dan me started brown, on them. That's it. No, I Don't won't. I, I suddenly realised what I've done. Film. Let me just get Pandora's box and the lid will close. There we go. It's closed <laughs> it's now. Of course it's a code, you stupid idiot. That's it. I'm putting the lid back on the backy tin right now. <laughs> God damn it. Done. That film. Wow. I was so angry at that film. <laughs> so I've just closed six Ghostbusters ghost traps. Everything's <sighs> okay. closing down now. So, it's okay. It's okay. Everything's all right. God. We're all good I forgot, here. I forgot about that. I forgot about that trigger. I forgot about that particular trigger. I quickly move on. Quickly how's, move on. How, how's you today? Whew. You don't know. Honestly, people listening to this podcast, trust me, we just avoided a near, near massive mega, megalithic explosion. Uh, Fifth wow. of March. Okay. <laughs> Let's move Whew. on. I'm sweating. <laughs> Galliard's had today. Fifth <laughs> of March. In at number twenty-eight is "Who Wants to Be the Disco King" by Wonderstuff. Yeah. Did it, is it me or did it sound? Did he sound not the it? Did uh, he there, sound? There, he sang like suede in places. The band uh, suede a little bit. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, obviously, there'll be this predates suede, but yes. Um, um, mine. My problem with this is that some of their other tunes have a, like a decent hook, even if I don't like him. But this doesn't, and it's ironic mm. not to have one, seeing as you're bemoaning boring songs on the radio. Yes, they are. As far as I could see, people in glass houses and all that. It's like if you're gonna, if you think you're gonna do a song about the banality of radio, you get Radio Gaga. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that you know that can knock it because that's got a you know it's it, it it's great hook, it's nonsense, it all works. This just feels like 
Nowhere yeah. near us. Nowhere near that. Shame, really. Number thirty-two, round and round by New Order. It won't good that. No, I think we mentioned that. it on the album when we looked mentioned the album last month. I didn't realise how overproduced and mixed up it sounded. And you, we described actually when we talked about their album how it was just those you know, people were turning up at a studio and this album appeared at the end of that process and not many people were involved in actually talking to each other. And it really shows because this is a track that's going in 10 different directions at once, dreary directions as well. It's yeah. horrible, horrible. Yeah, not very good. Uh, and at number 36 is One Man by Chanel. Chanel? Chanel? Yeah, nightclub fodder of the late 80s and early 90s. It all sounded like this, didn't it? All of it. All of it. There's loads of it. We've got about four of these tracks this week. Yeah, it's tons of them. I mean, you know, we're going to see a lot more of them. This starts in the video with the dance that they all do, which is kind of, I don't, like, a, yeah, a wiggle. She's swimming. It's like doing the arms, like doing a bit of breaststroke. Yeah, I don't know if, because I noticed that, you know, I've seen a few artists do this that we've got. Some of you wouldn't expect, so obviously with all these acts we do. Belinda Carlisle did a bit of it. Talita Tikram did a little bit of this kind of wiggly, wiggly dance in one of her videos as well. Maybe it was just an 80s dance craze that never reached our transoms, Adrian. I don't remember you ever doing that wiggly dance. I'd remember that. I <laughs> would, would remember something. I'd remember that. I would. I would remember <laughs> he that. really would remember that. Worst if, if Brown Sauce was doing it, because that would be like watching Gollum dance. And nobody, <laughs> nobody should ever witness that ever, ever. Oh. And I've danced with him on a dance floor to ministry, believe it or not. That is true. You have. Um, yes. And he broke my neck, but yeah. Got to be done. Uh, number 40 is Vagabonds by New Model Army. Great song. This was the one. Yeah, it's a good song. It's the one I remembered when I heard it. Like, oh, it's that one. Yeah. So yeah, it's very catchy. Yeah, I remember it from so you know the barge in Grimsby, Gulliver's, and so many places. Emblematic of the album we spoke about the other the other week, which is a really good album, as I've come to find out. When I when I listened to it, I was like, oh, it's that one. Yeah, and it is a really good track. No, no, no argument there. Similarly, number fifty five is the Rattler. By Goodbye, Mr. McKenzie. It's not bad, this. Um, it's, a, it's okay. It's I've good. noticed that it lacks a bit of the usual sort of spikiness. It's a bit smooth. It's a bit Deacon Blue is what it was. Yeah, it's a bit, yeah, yeah. it's not Better than Deacon Blue because, you know, everything's better than that. <laughs> but um, it's, you know, it did have a, it started to get, like you say, it was some of the saw edges were a little bit smoothed here. There's a bit of filler in the cracks. Yeah, um, which is so, sometimes yeah, the best. What yeah. makes the which makes the bands the songs well that, better? Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, because you know that that sort of because the two singers, well, the two singers, because what's one's Shirley? I was going to say Shirley Crabtree. Then I was going to say Shirley Valentine, which is even worse. <laughs> I want it to be Shirley Crabtree. <laughs> so do I. Um, yeah, um, but it's not Shirley Crabtree. And the other singer was uh, Giant Astacks. <laughs> <laughs> now that I'd pay good money to see. But yeah, so uh, uh, what, it's a Shirley. What is his name? Shirley Manson. Shirley Manson. So her voice is kind of a nice offset to the guys when when he sings, and it normally works. And this one, it just comes over a bit. It's a bit cheesy. I wonder if they were just told release a track that's going to make some money. <laughs> so, yeah. so this came or out because goodbye, Mister McKenzie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think, and I don't think we're, I don't remember them being around for much longer as as a goodbye, Mister McKenzie, at this point. So I think their no. contract days were numbered. As, Maybe. Uh, I mean, they are still going. I'm sort of, unless they've, I think they've reformed or something. But probably have. I don't know. Yes, exactly. Um, in at number fifty eight is Yo Yo Get Funky by DJ Fast Eddie. I predicted in a little <laughs> that you would hate this song in less than a second. I bet I was right. You were right because it went, woo, yeah, woo, <laughs> no. Yeah. That's yes. my comment. As soon as yeah, I heard I that, I was like, turn off. No, I'm not yeah. listening. I, I knew that. I knew you'd hate. As soon as I heard it, go, woo, yeah. It's like, you like that. And I was right. <laughs> you I were right about that saddle. <laughs> you were right about that loop. <laughs> uh, yeah. Don't use it that much in any song ever. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Number 66, End of the Line by Travelling Wilburys. 
So this made me laugh for a number of reasons. It's not a bad old song. It's all right. It's, it's nice. What can you say? Nice. It's like it's, it's, the, it's in there. It's Jeff, it's Jeff Lynn's in there, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. From ELO's Jeff Lynn. Now I've got a picture of you in a in a curly wig where you look like <laughs> Jeff Lynn from ELO. In fact, we commented on it at oh, a Christmas yeah, party we were at. Still yeah. got that image. Maybe we'll post it to the show. It's one day. Maybe we won't. But maybe <laughs> you look exactly like he does in that video. That's what I'm right. Reminding me, it's like I'm looking at it thinking, is that is that a Christmas party? Oh, and that's I, AD I was in the wearing background. like a 70 shirt. What a, had a 70, <laughs> yeah, 70 shirt, shirt and, and a massive wig. And <laughs> it was, if you, it looks exactly like that. That massive meatball head because they've gone they've gone two, two out of three of those of meatball which is a statistic you can check into and um, that's called that's called the wilbury statistic it's famous statistic <laughs> two out of three wilburys are often meatball and that's that's a true fact I mean, yeah, that's, like, that, we proved it in tests right there it's like a subway sandwich a meatball marinara <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's their album only, <laughs> only tom petty seems to have not succumbed i noticed that's because Yet. his hair is just so it's so straight it's uh you can't do anything with that hair. It's, it's, it's the straightest hair I've ever known. But if you notice that the, the guy at the back with the drumsticks, he's got his, you can see on, the, on his back he's developing a hunch lump and his hunch lump is made of meat. So he's got a meat hump. It's on his back there, look. He's just sitting, just, just growing nicely just make there. It. Yeah. Or maybe that's uh, little Bruce Hornsby climbing up, trying to get trying to get in on the act. <laughs> hey, hello. Hey, yeah. It's a good song, actually, that. And it's, obviously, there's, we're looking at an image, by the way, of three of the band members. It's a still from the video. Go and check the video out if you want to see what we're, what yeah, we're laughing it's in, at. It's in the show but notes, it's, but it's got some. Uh, there's some some good twiddly twiddly in there, and it's not a bad old song. It's right. okay. It's fine. It's very traveling Wilburys. You know. Yes, yes, it is. It, totally in fact, right. it's very it's very George Harrison. I thought this one. Yes, yes, it totally is. Well, he you know he wrote that one. Yeah, uh, it, sang it, did everything really. It did. Yeah, number eight. Opened up the meatballs. <laughs> They had a lovely tea. Um, (laughs) Number 82, World Outside Your Window by Tanita Tikaram. Yeah, talented, maybe, but I don't know. She's just a bit one-dimensional as an artist, and and I'm not not putting this on her shoulders either. Mm -hmm. This this is bad management and bad production and bad producers for her because they're keeping it, because I think she's got a lot more. She's better than this song. I don't doubt that. This song feels like it's, because the other songs are, I guess what they're doing is they're sort of positioning her in this particular type. And I think she's a bit more varied than this, but they're making her a bit of a one trick pony in terms of that moody kind of vibe. And I think that's doing her a disservice because I think she's a lot more talented than she's being allowed to demonstrate in the music and videos that she's coming out with. Personally, I think that. Yeah, maybe. I got the impression that this was, this is an album song that shouldn't have been released as a single. Yeah. And that's my point is that, you know, that's bad management and bad, bad, not maybe bad production, but bad agency. Bad just, yeah. Maybe, maybe she just was uh, sort of become a bit more popular than they thought. And we're like, Oh, we need another single. Just yeah. I get out. that impression because the video was nothing. <laughs> no, it's not. It's just, but you know, so walking around nothing. It's so Bland. At this point, she's 19. It's her first album, but I will agree. It's a bit of a nothing song, this. It's not one I yeah. remember from the album, and I've listened to the album a fair bit. But... She's a better artist than that song. Yeah, absolutely. I it's way better. And I don't particularly like did. her, but I'll give credit where credit's due. I think she's getting a disservice from somebody yeah. higher up in I mean, the, the problem is the best best track on the album, they could never release it as a single. It's Valentine Hart. They could just, you could not release that as a single. You couldn't. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and it's because it's, it's not single material, but is what it is. Number 84, in at number 84 is Save Up All Your Tears by Robin Beck. They should put in brackets for this again, shouldn't they? Because this is like the fourth or fifth version of this. I don't know. Is this, who who did it first? Bonnie Tyler sang it originally. It's a song that's written by Desmond Child and Diane Warren. Can't you tell? Yes, yes, you can. can. You tell? It's just, you know, if, if someone, you know, check the Desmond Child boxes, you know, chorus, check, sounds like a load of other songs that he's written, check. 
could be sung by any one of these people. Bon Jovi, you know, insert. Uh, yeah. I, I guess I originally, when as soon as I heard it, I thought, I bet Shers sang a version of that. Of course she did. And then I thought, oh, I bet Bonnie Tyler's had a go at that. Bonnie Tyler sang it originally. And then, of course, there was also Bonfire's version, which is a band <laughs> that Desmond Child had a lot to do with. There's also Frida Payne, who's another artist that both Desmond Child and Dan Warren had a lot to do. This song has just been regurgitated like a bad meatball. Um, mm. Now, that's not to say that it's not a terrible, terrible song, because it's not. And Robin Beck is stunning in that video. I mean, she's you know insanely attractive lady in the video. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's even got Paul Stanley on the backing vocals on the Robin Beck version version but it's just how many times you're going to release the same song is what's it really you know what's it offering and if you really want to laugh and if, if by the way if you've got anything like shelves that need sanding or you've got something like that <laughs> just play the bonnie tyler version a gravel voice or just it'll immediately smooth any wood <laughs> i don't mean that in any kind of sexual way i'm just saying um and also um you've got the uh, the bonfire version Maybe avoid that one. I would avoid that one. <laughs> avoid that one. That's not a good one. The Robin um, Beck one is probably the best of the lot, actually. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. And, the, and the Cher one's not quite good. And Cher looks astonishingly good as well when she's got straight hair in that video. Like, yes, ridiculously yes. so. <laughs> I was well, like, it was the sec- it's the second song she released after Turn Back Time I, with a slightly less controversial video, but just as scanty. <laughs> yeah, I, d- I, don't, I don't normally sort of comment on looks or anything, but I was taken a bit aback. I was like, good Lord. Anyway. Yes, yeah, she looks good. Considering she was in that video, she's seven hundred years old. <laughs> well, some say a thousand years old. Yeah, she's not bad. She's not. not she's not bad looking, is she? That one. She's lovely. Um, well, she's all right. She is. <laughs> Number <good>. ninety. <laughs> it's rain, rain, steam, and speed by the men they couldn't hang. Yeah, we've come across these before, haven't we? Political. I felt a somewhat political alternative version of the Levelers. Yeah, I think the Levelers are quite political as well. But I get what you're saying. I mean. Yeah, it's it's that kind of, you know, dogs on strings music. Yeah, it's just that kind of, you know, when they're jingly jangly sort of mandolins and a guy going, and then the man found a rod in his back and all that kind of thing. You know, not for me, that. <laughs> not for me either. Uh, 12th of March, in at number two, is Like a Prayer by Madonna. We've already spoken about that. We, we don't want to, uh, you know, raise the ire of the Pope any further. No. Nope. He may, may start People on People don't preach. And <laughs> I think that's great. Uh, number 15 is Keep On Moving featuring Karen Wheeler by Soul to Soul <laughs> Soul to Soul this is actually very Soul to Soul it's, it's a very good track it's the Soul to Soul isn't it well it's this, because this that, the, the, no their, their big one was um, Back to Life wasn't it so uh, that I suppose was their, so I mean it's it arguably it's the same drum beat so it's just a slight variation of the uh, yeah in terms of its production everything else it's good it, of course it features the classic Soul to Soul drum beat, which was also sampled by Enigma. It was sampled Enigma. by Enigma, famously by Enigma. So, you know, insert this drum beat and someone with a, you know, a shakuhachi or a panpipe and you've got their famous, <laughs> um, one of their famous songs. But cut a long story short, it's actually a, just a Roland TR-909 drum machine doing that. Hence the reason why that drum pattern appears on so many tracks. It's a very boring song, as you said. Um, <laughs> this song is so bloody boring. <laughs> it's so boring. <laughs> It is. It's just, but it's because it's the same. Essentially, you could almost play. You can play it back to back with "Back to Life," and it just the drum beat will just go on and on. It's a yeah. drum machine. It's like um, the yeah, because it's it's basically like a more boring version of "Sisters of Mercy." Um, yeah, who, you know. Well, yeah, because everyone can do that. Song dum, 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 I mean, there's even C sixty four tunes that have got that in the background. It's like so sleep, dumb. Listen to it. Yes, oh, you're it. not back to life at all. He's gone to no, sleep. <laughs> sending me off to death. In at number 21 is Paradise City by Guns N' Roses. Ah, uh, see, now for me, this is their best song. I mean, you know, everyone has their own opinion on Guns N' Roses songs and I get all that. 
But this is, if someone says, this is quintessentially the song I totally associate with Guns N' Roses. And mm. I just think, and it's such an ace song as well. It isn't a good, really, really song. good. Um, and it, it defines Guns N' Roses for me in ways that many of their other songs that people think about them for November Rain and stuff like that, or Sweet Child of Mine. I just think Paradise City is such a brilliant opening track. It's absolutely brilliant. It's got an insane outro as well. Insane yeah, outro. It does. Yeah, yeah, really fast. It's incredible, that outro. Yeah, it's really good. Do you remember when we covered this? When we did a... I remember I remember when we did a version of this. I wouldn't say it was a cover. <laughs> I just I thought, I wonder if you'd maybe blanked out, you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so it always makes me think of a crazy game you show me. I couldn't think what it was called, but you've noted there it was Burnout Paradise. That is the right game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so where, you, where it was... Because that music comes on, doesn't it, when it yes, starts and, the, the, and then you crash intro, cars yeah. and things. Yeah, yeah. It's... Mm-hmm. it's such a good track that by Guns N' Roses. Yeah, I love so Burnout good. Games. Number forty-two is Family Man by Roachford. He's yeah, back. He's back. Yeah, he's back. Andrew Roachford, MBE. Please give him his full title for services to music. You got an MBE? What? Yeah, what? apparently I don't know what those services were because he didn't do a lot of stuff. Well, yeah, maybe I've done stuff behind the scenes. Yeah, no, maybe uh, maybe he just you know I don't know what he did. Maybe he played know. the symbol or tambourine Roachford, or something. But, but he is Andrew Roachford. So, yes, he is. And the band is Roachford. He is Andrew Roachford. They are of the Roachford. So, it's like the Borg. They're all Roachford. <laughs> Resist- Roachford is futile. <laughs> it's just that Roachford 6. Where's Roachford 5? <laughs> you will be assimilated into the Roachfords. <laughs> uh, number 44 is Antisocial by Anthrax. No, no. I, I, it's, I felt like I should like it, but I don't. No, for for I was yeah, I listened to this and it's it's uh, they have a sort of uh, I don't know they had a reputation when we were younger sort of thing that they were this big heavy band, but I listened to it and they're just not, are they? It feels really weak and bland. It sounded like Judas Priest, and Judas Priest do what they're doing way better. So yeah, not very good at all. Number fifty, Days Like This by Sheena Easton. Dubious <laughs> video. This video made me laugh. There's a man. <laughs> there's a man eating a whole orange at a dinner party. That's never going to go down well. I mean, it's it's. The song is very derivative and it sounds exactly like you'd expect this to sound. Really yeah. cheesy 80s yuppie vibes though in that video. Venetian blinds. I didn't realize they were so popular. Well, they're, they're the uh, they're the window covering of arguments. <laughs> they so are. Because that's what oh this video gosh. consists of. It's like arguing and making up and then arguing and making up. And oh, For God's sake. <laughs> yeah, his hair, honestly, it annoyed me his hair standing there. <laughs> It's just yeah, oh, this it made me laugh. Like the gratuitous under the under the table shot of her opening her legs made me. I was like, good lord! Oh, it, was, it was a bit much, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know that Venetian blinds were popular in late eighties contemporary <laughs> apartments and all. Um, but I don't it does, know. It does sound like the name of a band from the eighties, the Venetian blinds? It, it probably is. It must be. So obvious. How do you make a Venetian blind? Poke, Poke them in the eye. eye. There we go. Or create a complex array of wooden slats and bond them <laughs> with string. Number 63. <laughs> <laughs> Close that box. Um, is High Rollers by Ice Tea. I don't know. I, I think I prefer aggressive Ice Tea as opposed to this kind of afternoon tea version. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> yeah, this was, this was, uh, this was, <laughs> it was, it, there was, I'm sure there was some scones and. <laughs> it was a bit sanitized. It just felt it really a bit was. like, was, I mean, yeah, the message was, wasn't, but the video but, and the song was, was, was a cream bit and jam appeared in my house when I listened to this. This just felt like it was, I don't quite get it. Maybe I'm missing something. I don't know. Yeah. Number 69 is Ready for Love by Gary Moore. Ready for Love. And he's saying that in um, Clockwork Orange. 
I don't know. Yeah. This was well, Gary Moore. I don't, he might have been in Clockwork Orange. I don't know. I don't know who he was. <laughs> this video was terrible. As you rightly noted, it's hints of meatball. Terrible oh. video. Terrible. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what they were going for here, but it's like some it's it's like some Aldi Price, Dave Lee Roth <laughs> attempt. It's where they line up the women, as I remember it. It's well. just awful. Awful. So and I'm not, the women yeah. are pretty and beautiful and they're nice sort of thing, but the way this is done is like, I was like, ugh. Yeah, it's like a cheese sandwich. It ain't good. No. <laughs> No, it's not. Well, not that kind of cheese sandwich. You know, cheese sandwiches, nothing wrong with them in of themselves. But um, no. Uh, in the number 90s, Made of Stone by Stone Roses. Your cup of tea, isn't I, it, this kind I, of thing? Yeah, this is, the, I think, their first single and my favourite Stone Roses song, which is a bit weird one. They, they never struck <laughs> out straight again. away then. Amazing song. This. The chorus on this is brilliant. I love the way it builds into the chorus. And the thing is with the Stone Roses, uh, I'm, I'm not going to whack lyrical too much about them, but it's, it's easy to forget because of obviously all the Manchester stuff, loads of other bands, everyone went, oh, they like the Stone Roses and stuff like that. Just how good they were in comparison to their peers yeah. and the, how, the, how good musicians they were. And I think this song is a real good example mm. of how good they bloody well were. The rhythm section of Manny and Rennie, it's, it's, drumming's amazing. And the, and the bass line yeah, going no along alongside it is is. is incredibly good stuff then you've got john squire's guitar in and john squire is an incredibly good guitarist yeah very true and and it's one of the few songs as well where you know ian brown is not the best of singers it's maybe the weakest link but his vocals on this work really well and the way it all pulls together and just some of the it's just a brilliant song it's just an incredible song this i love it you know yeah it's a good song i'm just i'm not massive i, I don't know a lot about the stone roses so no um, they were for me they, i mean they did some do some really good stuff their first album is very good but this for me was uh this or waterfall but waterfall's a bit more hit. poppier but I, this is incredible this Love this song. Fair enough. Not the next one, though. Number 91, The Hunter by Clanad. Ooh. <laughs> Placey <laughs> vowel sounds. This might be the most sepia-toned video I've ever seen. Oh, wasn't it just? It's, it's like, like oh, you could run gosh. through the C64 brown filter. It was really sepia. Sepia and floaty vowel sound videos. I know they go <laughs> together, but that's... That's a bullets and guns combination for me. You never want something that's sepia looking that floats. No, I just, I think, you know what? I don't know. Is it a TV show or something? Clannad often are doing themes for TV shows. God, who knows? Who knows? I don't know. In at number 95 is Nothing is Stronger Than Love by Dare. <laughs> God, this, is, this is cheesy beyond bully. This has got the most stereotypical opening of yeah. any track we've had for a long time, this. It's just, I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's just so cheesy. It's unbelievable. It's there's some meatballing as well on the lead singer. Yeah, um, yeah, it's, no, it's all it's all going on in this one. It's just, but this it's, goes it's, through it's cheese, cheese and button. out the other side. And it's mega cheese. And dear, ho ho, I say it. I don't mind this. <laughs> oh dear me. It's just so <laughs> it's, there's cheesy. a couple of dare tracks that I've heard in the past that I really like. That there's they're all right as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but they are dear absolutely me. you have to buy into the fact that you are just biting into a massive cheese sandwich. Oh yeah. Of, of it, rock, you know, you know, of rock. You'd be telling me you like bonfire next. <laughs> No, that was that's a, that's too much, too far. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just fighting words, boy. Nineteenth um, of March, number twenty-four. People hold on, featuring Lisa Stansfield by Cold Cut. This was Cut. a massive, massive, massive hit in the clubs. <sighs> yeah, it was. Especially, it was especially in, it especially was. in Manchester and, and around that way. She's an amazing. I mean, you know, okay, you might not the music stylings of Lisa Stansfield may not be your cup of tea. But she has an amazing voice, you know, a really amazing voice, incredible. Yeah, yeah. And now, and it's a good track of of the time. It just sounds like a lot of them at that time. This is just a cut above that because of her vocal performance. 
because you would never ne- not necessarily look at her and think of boys like that would come out of her and yet there she is um the next track of course is even bigger than that one you know um, being around the world and i and all that oh, yeah, and, you know yeah. um but that said you know you either like if you like that kind of thing you know but it was just if you went out on a night out somewhere at this particular time in, in certain kinds of club you were going to hear that you were going to so, hear it you know, more than once probably yes and it got massive radio play i mean it was you know bombarded on radio it got it you know she became a bit of a household name on the back of that and another song as well cold cut well they're obviously famous in their own right too so here we go not for me though neither was the next one at number 34 which was i haven't stopped dancing yet well that made me gag a little actually <laughs> <laughs> i wonder why <laughs> yeah i haven't stopped dancing yet i wish they would by pat and mick oh, awful just awful horrible awful. this is a horrible thing <laughs> As soon as I saw it appear in the list, I was like, I know what that is and I don't want to listen to it because I know what it is and then I thought, I've got to listen to it. I'm like, oh, it's horrible. Stock Aiken and Walkman trash pop. Mm -hmm. I imagine this is going to get played at the funeral of Pete Walkman as he's fired from a giant (laughs) catapult at the moon or maybe Uh, even a trebuchet or something like that. Hopefully. I was just reminded of the uh, speech from from Airplane. Oh, those shoes, it's awful and that. Oh, it's and those, oh. <laughs> Just so bad. So, so bad. No, yeah. and this you know, if you want if you want a reason to hate Stockade Could Want, not that you don't you know, we've had plenty, because we, what there's been at least one Stockade Could Want track now for every one of our episodes, and they're just getting more and more like this robotronic trash pop guff. And it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And this is an example of how bad, and it's not even as bad as it's gonna get, but this will give you an indication of the kind of torture that we were going through in that 1989, 1990, 1991 yeah. period. Oh, horrible. And then you had Name 35, Gotta Get You Back by Kim Mazell. Yeah, you know. It's another one of them British songs. Pop soul, pop soul, yeah. I suppose it's exactly right, exactly what it is. Kim Mazell's got an amazing voice. She's a great singer, but this song is a very derivative of that kind of song. You know, it sounds exactly as I'd expect it would. And very much so. And number 37, Only the Lonely by Tapau. Tapau are sort of losing their Tapau. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, to power jokes. Hey, have you seen it? Um, so, but this isn't good, is it? Sounds off key for a start. She's a way better singer than this. In this, I think this is another one where the production is letting it all down a bit because it goes from being horrible at the start, then it goes into sort of trite guff of the highest order with that kind of stompy chorus attempt that to power up to this point known for, but this one isn't going to be saved by it. No. No, no. Yeah, it's very to pow. It's very. Carol to Decker pow. was probably angry about this. Probably, maybe. Yeah. Number forty is musical freedom. Moving on up, featuring a diva by Paul Simpson, featuring a diva. Yeah, another amazing vocal one with you know lots of the same samplers and synth drum machines being used, so it sounds like loads of other tracks of that time. It's also got house piano, so I was de- instantly out. It, it does have that plink plink piano. Ding 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 like, ding nope, ding. Nope, done. Vroom. <laughs> I'm running Off for the hills. Uh, number 42. This is more interesting. Of course, I'm lying by Yellow. It's a great track. That's my my very favorite Yellow song. track. I've never heard this before. It's an interesting song. This was interesting. It's, it's really good track that. And but it's of their of their style in that it's eclectic. So you know, if you put this next to Oh Yeah or the race and said, yeah. is that, do you think that's the same band? You would never have got it the same. And in no. fact, you would probably argue that this is actually more like a Berlin track than a yellow track. Yeah, it's if very you think odd. of the way Berlin operate, but it's, I think it's brilliant. It still stands now. It's just such a really lavishly produced track. It's, it's, it's really nice that I'll go and listen yeah. to it. My advice. Um, it did sound like it was missing being in a Michael Mann production of some sort. Yeah. It's, it's got a movie vibe, hasn't it? Totally. It really movie has. Vibe. Yeah. yeah. A Michael yeah, Mann type totally. movie vibe. That's what I was thinking. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, yeah, what he, you know, he's got Manhunter out, hasn't he, around this well, time? Yeah, that, so if, well, if I put Man on, Michael Mann production, so I was also thinking like Miami Vice and things like that. You could, yeah, it's got, again, that's that vibe. But less, I say less, less than a weekend, so I wouldn't imagine that would work in that context. Probably not, but. not so much in that one, no. Maybe not, no. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Cora, I'm lying. Ah! <laughs> Who was that meant to be out of that I don't, film? I don't know. <laughs> Was I'm, I'm not sure that that was Chingachku, was, the last of the no, Mohicans. No, no. It, was, uh, sure. it, was, it was generic soldier number four on the left. I was going to say, it wasn't Mogwai, it wasn't, you know, who the hell was, was that? Daniel Day-Lewis, supposedly, but let's not hold that against him. Goodness <laughs> me, have you been watching um, <laughs> There Will Be Blood or something? Yes. <laughs> there will be blood when he gets hold of me for that impression. <laughs> he will. He's on, he's on his way, I'm telling you. Don't anger Absolutely. him. He's, uh, the last person you want to piss off is Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah, he's going to chop off my He'll camp foot. outside your house for days. He's like a wasp. <laughs> no, but like one of them hornets. He'll just follow Absolutely. you around and he ain't going nowhere. He's outside yeah. your house right now. He's going to be there for days. <laughs> he can smell my cider. He'll pass out rather than leave the front of your house. You'll walk out and he'll be there and he'll wait one aisle open and that's it. You're done. I'll be there for you. I will. Uh. <laughs> You're doing it again. Don't, I just, did I not just explain what's going to happen? Well, now his brother Goodness will come me. over. There'll be two of them. Daniel Knight-Lewis. Takes it in shifts. <laughs> no, I'm not laughing at that. I'm not. <laughs> quickly, quickly Daniel, escape. Daniel early morning, Lewis. <laughs> Evening, Lewis. <laughs> Daniel Sunday best. Lewis. I will be there. He'll be there. <laughs> He'll always be there. One. Only on Sundays. Number 58. Let's go round there by the Darling Buds. I really like that track by the Primitives. I mean, sorry, the Darling Buds. <laughs> by Blondie. <laughs> by, uh, yeah, by them. <laughs> no, in all fairness to the Darling Buds, that's a really great track. It sounds like all the others, and none of the others sound that bad to me. It's kind of twee pop. Yeah. It's nice. It's good. It's fun. It's okay. Yeah. It's a bit it's of it's a bit of way. It's a bit of it's a bit of this. It's a bit of that. <laughs> What is it? It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. Um, <laughs> number 65 is Blow the House Down by the Wee Papa Girl Rappers. Should be Blow the House Down and in brackets with really annoying trumpet sounds because Massive. there's so many of them in there. Oh, Massively too many trumpets. trumpets. Too many trumpets. trumpets. Too many. Just cut a few out and it'll be fine. At number 74 is Dreaming by Vanessa Williams. <laughs> The vibe here is smooth and silky. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is, you know, Vanessa Williams is an amazing singer. This isn't a great track by her. It's all right. But while listening to this, uh, the walls in my lounge repainted themselves kind of warm toffee. The curtains changed to silk and all the light walls were replaced with warm tones. There was even a roaring fire in the uh, fireplace. And I don't even have a fireplace. Well, I'm not surprised when there's someone like that running along a beach. (laughs) Nobody runs in calf high tight jeans on a beach. Not in my world. Goodness, mate. No, no, he's... Uh, no. And look Coplas at the colorization well, in that. I mean, where is he? Mars? Is, <laughs> what kind of planet planet is he on? He's not on Earth. I don't so, know. Anyway, no. Just the filters have gone crazy, man. You lose some of the filters, man. <laughs> Natural gone, light. You've gone full on Tony Scott. He has there, hasn't he? Goodness yeah, me. Now. He is on the surface of Mars or Venus <laughs> or something. I don't know where he is. Uh, ah! number, <laughs> number 85, like the Good Times Rock from Europe. <laughs> That's the snapshot of off YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Of, of, of Joey Tempest, Joey Mon- Monotooth Tempest, looking at that as well. <laughs> it looks like a hamster, but also he's, he's got an incredibly <laughs> symmetrical face. Yeah, he's what an amazing. We've said it loads of times. He's a great singer, Joey Tempest. He is he's a great not singer. Not to be underestimated, and he's an amazing looking guy of the time, isn't he? I mean, that and hair he can, is so conditioned. Look at how on that hair. It's, a, it's amazing. And he twirls amazing. a mean mic stand. He does. He's a proper, you know, he's got that down to a fine art. You know, he, he doesn't really break has. anyone's chins with that. I know he's nope. you know, 
mad. Because have you ever seen that famous footage of when David Lee Roth came out? Years <laughs> later, there was a famous... Um, uh, Van Halen had got back together. Now we're going... No, back in the 2000s, this was, in the mid-2000s. Mm-hmm. I think it was on the Letterman show. Or it was one of those kind of chat shows. Or maybe even Jimmy Kimmel or something like that. Mike. Yeah, it came out. Obviously, I think one of the later performances, and they were kind of a reunion thing. He came out spinning his mic like a crazy person and smacked himself so hard and broke his own, I think he broke his nose on stage. <laughs> so to, so to stop the performance on the TV show, well, he went and got patched up. And when he came back, he had a big plaster across the bridge of his nose. Where he smacked, he's on YouTube. You can YouTube it. Oh, well, I'll be having a look David Leroth broke his own face spinning the microphone like that. Right now. Well, uh-huh. that's the microphone, not so much the mic stand. But He needs to take some uh, tips from Joey Tempest because he can spin a mean mic stand. Good song. It's a it's boring okay video because it's a tour video. You know, it's very. It reminded me of Spinal Tap when they went into Japan as well. You know, on the, yeah, the famous. There's the, a bit yeah, right at the end of the video where exactly they like that. They all jump onto the stage with the guitars, and the the explosion <laughs> from the the, the pyrotechnics <laughs> at the front is just slightly behind them landing. <laughs> it <laughs> yeah, made me laugh. Not, this the not, going, not there. Yeah. <laughs> it's like oh, you jumped too early. Tap. <laughs> you yeah. just jumped too early. Um, but. Europe are a good band, and they're, you know their songs aren't terrible, are they? So, no, they're like, all right. They're better than the next one, which is "When the Children Cry" by White Lion. Oh God, this this song, <laughs> this song—it's like torture. <laughs> it goes on forever. I thought it I, goes I, on I, I forever. aged. I visibly aged <laughs> listening to it's this. The, I, I mean, I'm just going to say this. I think this is may, maybe the worst rock ballad of the '80s by by quite some much. Well, it's it obviously is so bad. It's their attempt at Mr. Big and. Uh, Exactly, an attempt. Were they? Was that already out by this point, Mister Big? Yeah, it was one. And was I'll it be extreme? with you? No, that's not out yet. I think. Oh, no. Streams more than well, words isn't out at this point. Uh, well, obviously, this it? is this is a. Not I don't yet. think it is. No, no, not yet. No. So this is an no. early version of that that goes all wrong. Slightly wrong. Look, this is the worst. You know, I've listened to Sil- the Silence by Gamma Ray, and if you can survive <laughs> that, because wow. that ain't good. No, it's not. And then you've got a, t- a tale that wasn't right by Halloween. No, they're not good songs. Had my heart filled up with ice to avoid it breaking twice. You've got lyrics like that to compete with, and it's worse than that. It I is. And also, I've taken a shot there from the uh, video, and someone shot, thought that shot was a good choice for the video. So I can only imagine what is on the cutting room floor. Has he got permed sideburns? That's incredible. <laughs> that I is, I mean, that's dedication to the sideburn. I don't know. Like I've never it's seen. There's a denim waistcoat with pearls by the looks of it. It's denim waistcoat with pearls and a shark. Is that a shark's teeth or a feather? And then if you go across to the other guy, who's, who looks like he's just you know, relieving himself in one way or another, I'm not sure how, what that's quite like. Um, but but scarily, um, his sideburns have turned into a beard. They've actually grown around <laughs> his face. Yeah, and that's I think that's the sideburns have taken control of his his hair and just gone. You know what? We're doing our thing now. We're in control. <laughs> We're yeah, <laughs> yeah um, good. Twenty sixth yeah. of March, number twenty two is Firewoman by Cult. The tiny vampires mm. are back. Tiny vampires sounds like every other song by the Cult. It does, and he looks weird without a bandana. Yeah, he does actually. Yeah, Ian Asbury. Uh, number twenty six, The Beaten Generation by The The. Mm. Yeah, didn't like it. Very heavy on message, very yeah. low on likability. I, well, I, I recognise this song. I knew this song. I'd heard, I'd heard it before. And, uh, um, and as much as I don't agree with double word names, I, 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 this is okay. I don't mind this song. It's got mm. quite a nice um, quite a nice chorus. Um, it is very on message. It's very thingy, but um, yeah, mm. it's what it is. And then number 28, Americanos by Holly Johnson. Crap. <laughs> Frosty Pop. It's rubbish. <laughs> Frosty Pop, blue I like je- it. Blue jeans and chinos. It's rubbish. rubbish um, yeah. Stuff. Candy Mountain. No, no. Candy Mountain is never a good thing. Makes me think of Charlie the Unicorn. Come to Candy Mountain, Charlie. I can't remember. They're both the same. It's Candy yeah. Mountain, Charlie. It's full of candy and wonder. Oh, God, oh, God they took my kidney. Where's my kidney? <laughs> um, Hello? <laughs> number 33 is Baby Yes. 
<laughs> Baby, I don't care by Transvision Vamp. I thought we'd already looked at this, but we hadn't. Um, so. No, we had not. Actually, it just came out. The one they're most remembered for, isn't it? It is, Baby, yes. Da, 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 da. Yeah. And then they quickly disappeared. Um, just... uh, number 34 is Can You Keep a Secret? 1989. He's asking oh. a year to keep a secret. <laughs> I feel sorry for him. Brother Beyond. Yeah. yeah, low polyism, and now in that video, low colorism. I know. Um, it's going from bad to worse for these poor old sauce sock puppets. <laughs> Please give generously. <laughs> yep, exactly. I mean, you know, good-looking guys. One-dimensional, though. Yeah. Very, very <laughs> well, literally. Not, well, they are three-dimensional. It's just low. Just not many. Uh, yeah, they're just flat. They're still, yeah, they're still just, triangles. Yeah, there's not, not many, many triangles. To them. Number 38, She's a Mystery to Me by Roy Orbison. Not his best song, that. Released during his posthumous revival. Yes. Which is a very special kind of oxymoron and a great potential album title for him, maybe. It is. Posthumous revival, yeah. I was listening to this and, and I... I had a thought. Do you think he, Chris Isaac was influenced by him? Well, there can be no accident that some Chris Isaac songs appear very shortly at the same time as um, some Roy Orbison songs, so maybe. Maybe. Just that sort of yeah. high-pitched, sort yeah. of slow thing, I don't know. Uh, number 52 is Got to Keep On by Cookie Crew. Brown Sauce loved this. Um, <laughs> I'm sure he would. I'd like to see him dance like it, but no. Yeah, I have, and it wasn't worth it. No. He, you know, he's not a dancer, Gary. Um, <laughs> he's not. No. I've seen him pull off some, you know, for some of his... Shape, you know, shapely dance moves on the dance. I've seen him cut in the air, and uh, and it wasn't nice. It, it wasn't. Nice. I mean, no, you know, he puts that. You know, I admire the effort. He's usually cut in the air because he's had too much brown sauce in his sandwiches, and the, the smell afterwards is <laughs> yeah, a exactly. dreadful thing. So yeah. that's what he's cutting the I air could, with. I, I, I was trying to think back because his brown sauce was he? A, was he? Did he do a lot of dancing about in Gulliver's? I don't remember him dancing about in Gulliver's. I remember dancing to Ministry with him in a nightclub, and you know, we went crazy. All two of us. I think he um, was. He used to go on the dance floor <laughs> in the pier. I think. I think to remember. Th- yeah, yeah, yeah. I just don't think what he would, what he danced to. I don't remember. He's like a ninja, isn't he? He's a ra- somehow he's a, he's like Inception style, gone in and erased himself from my memories. <laughs> I don't know how he's done that, but he has. Because I don't. I remember him coming with us. I remember him leaving with us. But everything in between is a blur, which is a hobo, roofy based nightmare, which I don't want to remember. Or is <laughs> is done it? His Inception does. I'm not sure how he's done it. He's a clever guy though. Clever. Column A, column B, I think. <laughs> God, God, God help the past. <laughs> and at number 60, <laughs> is Monkey Gone to Heaven by the Pixies. Uh, now, this is the one I remembered. I've been trying to remember the. There was a certain Pixies song that I, and I couldn't remember which. I was trying desperately to remember it because I remember thinking, oh, that's actually a really good track. And finally, it's surfaced its way onto our transom. And <laughs> it's a good song, that is. Great I song. I like that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, not the biggest hit, as you noted. That would be Debaser. Yeah. Grow that's that's the one I remember. But yeah, uh, classic song. Yeah, I mean, and another in the long line of quiet, loud, quiet, loud songs that form the basis for grunge and so on. They're just massively influential at this point, and just loads of bands are going to be taken from these over the next few years. Um, But making Monkey Guns Heaven, I remember hearing that on the chart show of all places um, when it first came out, and I was like, "That's very good." Time number sixty-three is "Feels So Good" by Van Halen. Yeah, well. I'm, no. I'm just before I before you you can you obviously you're the Van Halen man, but I just want to know what the hell is that synth break into the first verse? Yeah, it's none of it's good. It's, it's not a good little track. Little bit. Yeah, it's not good. Even the beginning's got that kind of mushy synth sound in stuff at the start. And when they all come floating across in the video, Duh. and then for no reason that scantily clad woman just floats across as well. It's like oh yeah, Duh. it's Sammy Hagar's era massively. This it's their version. There's a reason why they fell out with him, and they'd never played this live ever, as far as good. I'm aware. And that's what I read. They'd never played it live for good reasons because it's crap. Yeah, and it's, it's really got bad. That <laughs> sound at the beginning, I'm like Ugh. no, 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 no. Bring back the Van Halen that we all know and love, not this version. So there's some good songs that come out of their relationship with Sammy Hagar. This is not one of them. No, 
It really wasn't. Number 70 is Hollow Heart by Birdland. I don't know anything about them. Well, I'm going to tell you, the only person I've ever known who has been into Birdland, I've noticed here, was our very first singer for our first gig. I'm not going to name him, but you remember them. Think of yes, his haircut and singing style, and it will make sense. Well, it's not hard to remember his singing style, is it? It's one yeah, note th- continuously. It, it was, but think of how he sort of punctuates stuff and things like that, and think of his blonde haircut, and then think of, if you watch the video for this. He sang like a 60s Cyberman. <laughs> But yes, I remember him for that. I didn't know that's what Birdlands. And yeah, now now you make I make the association. Yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah. totally. He's the only person I've ever known who's been Bless into him. Bless him. Yeah. Bless him. Bless him. No, what he's now. doing now? I've gone look in the cupboard where I trapped him for 10 years. <laughs> Still there. Absolutely. Joking, um, I haven't. Just doing now. On all seriousness, I haven't trapped him in anywhere for 10 years. It's 15. Number 80, <laughs> um, Ordinary Lies by the Bee Gees. They've never lived an ordinary life. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't it's a good know. song, actually. You know what? You can't argue with the Bee Gees. I don't, you know, you're, either, you're not going to necessarily love them. You maybe you know, you might love them. You're not necessarily going to hate them, really. They're very good songwriters, the, the Bee Gees. Um, you know, you don't, might not be everyone's cup of tea, but their songs are pretty good and well written. And, and they produce and write and do everything play every instrument, do all the production, do all the they mixing. Do. They do the lot. There's nothing they don't do. Um, and so, um, I don't know. I, it's just, it's not a great song by them, but it's of their genus and their fans would really dig it. And can you say it's a Bee Gees song? So it's not going it to be terrible, is it? They've been transformed, though, into the epitome of the late 80s in this video. Oh, haven't they just? They're just everything about they? them. It's late 80s. Everything. It's incredible. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, they spent a lot of time desperately trying to undo the popularity that they got from the 70s disco stuff that they did. Because yeah, that wasn't probably. really, you know, that wasn't, they you know, they, they've, they spent a, 10, 20 years trying to unpick everyone associating them with a very specific set of songs. I mean, I can't imagine how difficult that would be as an artist to, to have that album so ingrained in people's thoughts and those songs so ingrained in their minds that when you release something new, they just go, wow, no, do more of that stuff you did then. It's like, oh, look, it's 20 years ago. We've, we've changed. No, no, do <laughs> look, more. We're, we're, we're not 80s now. I'm not we're, 70s. We're ordinary, we're ordinary people living ordinary lives. Hey, that's a good song, mate. Write that down. I have already. <laughs> I, I thought it to you. Because they could. They were telepathic. I don't know if you know that. They could speak to each other tele, you know, through telepathy. They could. Very, they could, yeah. They could. <laughs> but only six words. It's handy, though. Very handy. Very, very. <laughs> <laughs> number 95, Nuclear Rocket by Wrathchild. No. This is a confusing band. What the hell are these? Are they metal? Are they punk? What, what's going on? I couldn't figure on? it out. I wasn't even sure I found the right YouTube clip or not, because I just I couldn't find did. much about that. So could be them. I don't know. It wasn't really good, though. No, it wasn't. Um, finally, to end the month, uh, end this one. Nine, number 98 is The Look by Roxette. You've got the look. It was. Yeah, this is a, a huge, it becomes on to be a big hit. It's a number, gets number seven in every year. Huge hit. We, strangely, right, I've, I've got this from the wiki. This was the third single they released from the, the album Look Sharp, uh, The was. Look. It became another top 10 single in their home country, obviously Sweden. Roxette was still unknown internationally. While studying in Sweden, an American exchange student from Minneapolis, Dean Cushman, heard The Look and bought a copy of Look Sharp home for the 1988 holiday break. He gave the album to Minneapolis Minneapolis radio station KDWB 101.3 FM. The station started playing The Look. Based on positive caller feedback, the song became very popular and quickly spread to other radio stations. became a radio hit before any rock set product had been commercially released or promoted in the US market. In fact, um, whoever they were with, I can't remember who it was who signed, finally signed them, had actually rejected them and turned them down saying they weren't very good. And it was only when this became popular, they went back to him going, uh, yeah. yeah, we will actually sign you then. Yeah. I mean, it would have been eating their words, wouldn't they? When the pretty woman came out with, uh, it must've been love on it. Goodness me. That would have yeah. shot them through their feet. They're a Swedish band. Amazing. I think they were, you know, you, you're either going to like them or not. Don't judge them by their production. 
Judge them by Gunmarie Fredrickson, such a beautiful and amazing person and singer, sadly now passed away. Mm. Um, she had an amazing voice. She started out in a punk band, which yeah. I've got a link to a video called Struel, Swedish punk band. They're very, they're really good as well, if you like that kind of thing. Very of its type. But her voice, I mean, come on, it's absolutely mind-blowing how good it is. And she sang and remained singing, even though she was really, really ill later in her life. And she remained singing and kept kept at it, even though it must have been really tough for her because she was fighting pain pretty much continuously and battled right to the end. So, and and, and obviously, you know, we've read the recent news as well of another amazing amazing singer that's passed away recently as well, which is Sinead O'Connor. Yeah. So it's just great, amazing voices. And you can't think of The Look by Roxette without thinking of her voice. And then just think of Joyride or you think of uh, It Must Have yeah. Been Love. And, you know, that is just her talent. Amazing, amazing stuff. I really like, I really like Roxette. I like that kind of Euro pop of that time as well. Just good singers. Good singers always, you know, it's always something. Amazing. Yeah, here we go. And that's it. That's your singles for March 1989. Uh, we're going to go away, take a quick break um, on that note, and we'll be back. We still have five more games to get through. Goodness so, me. you know, let's get on with it. We'll see you in a moment. And we are back uh, for the final part this week. Uh, let's get into them five games. Graham, you're up first with Zamzara. Zamora. That's what I always think of. The crossroads you (laughs) seek. Is it Um, Zamzara? Zamzara. (laughs) Um, Dinner for Wolf. Uh, Two ninety nine. This was two pounds ninety nine p. Ninety one percent. Wow, silver medal. Silver medal. Indeed, gold medal in budget land, isn't it? That. Yeah. That before. This is silver gold. Silver (laughs) gold. Absolutely. Silver plate. (laughs) Uh, This was published by Racket, which was obviously Houston. Its producer was Paul Chamberlain. The coda was Yuka Tepanaki. Is it Tepanaki or Tepanaki? I can never pronounce it. Tapan- Tapanimaki. I'm going to, uh, no, it's, it's the guy that made Netherworld and Octopolis. They weren't bad. Graphics are also by Yuka uh, Tapanaki. Um, and the title screen was Martin Godbeer, musician Charles Dean, and aka the Maniacs of Noise at the helm in the house. So nice title screen and music will greet you here. This is pretty accomplished game on the C64, actually. And also I ripped this music out and used it for a whole bunch of demos back in the day. I thought I recognised it. You would do. Uh, the game then, quite simple, really. You've got to escape from a laboratory complex before a time bomb explodes. You have 15 minutes to battle your way through the rescue ship and get off the complex. Mm. Keep it simple, Tim. That's what we like. Keep yeah, it nice absolutely. And simple, that. No, it's not, we don't need to go crazy, do we? Nice nope. and easy peasy, that. You've got very simple controls, and I'll sort of go through them as we play through the game. So I like that. You know what? Budget games should have budget uh, missions, which is what that is. You know, just get out. <laughs> get out. <laughs> just, uh, good you stuff. Pop it. Now, let me tell you something about this. This is graphically impressive, this game. Yeah, it is. Um, it's an impressive side-scrolling run-and-gun slash shoot-em-up. Now, we've seen games that are far more expensive with far worse graphics than this. Um, yeah. So I think this is, you know, graphically some of the, we're at the top of the game here. This is good stuff, really good stuff. Um, you start at a point A, and you've got to run and shoot your way across to point B and then jump to the little exit. Kind of it, really. Collecting stuff along the way. It's not unlike an alien fused Mario style game in some ways, in a weird way. Um, it's less platform hoppy than Mario, shorter levels, but you know, you are running from left to right, jumping up and down over things, shooting at things and getting into an end goal and then jumping up to it. Sounds like Mario to me, or bit that just, this is like a just with a know, gun. With a gun and with a sort of a Geiger version of Mario, which I really want to see. Just you know, Nintendo, I know you know, you don't listen to me very often when I come up with ideas, but come on. <laughs> it's Nin- a well, well, well. 
<laughs> just, just Mario getting eaten by a, like a face hugger, like an egg. Mario, you know, does have a lot of eggs in his life. Anyway, that's just a, a whole different game idea, Nintendo. You know, just putting it out there. <laughs> Is uh, this a I Yoshi want... egg? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, so uh, you control your alien-like creature with the joystick. What else would you control it with, you praises? Mm. Fire shoots, up jumps, and up multiple times, jumps up higher. Nice. I like that. Not come across that before in this. You know, jump jump, jump up once for jump, jump up twice for jump slightly more. You can keep on jumping up. I like that. I don't know yeah. why. I've, I've not seen it before. I liked it. Kind you of can shoot missiles hurry. as well. Yes, you can shoot missiles if you collect them by pressing the space bar and then pressing your button. So you can shoot that missiles as well, like a one-shot missile. And you can press a few other keys as well as you get them. I think looking at the instructions here, there's a rapid fire, photon laser, nuclear laser, and web mine, which when you get them, you can press F1, F3, F5, and F7 to invoke them. And you can Tis. drop them, use them, do stuff with them. Just kind various of forms of diagonal shots, bouncy diagonal yeah, shots. Yeah, fine. It's just, you know, shooty, shooty things in a game where you have to shoot and run and run and shoot. Okay, that's fine by me. Um, the graphics here are really, really nicely drawn. Um, really lovely shaded sprites and backgrounds. They all look great. The controls are smooth and the game plays really well. Um, I thought that's, you know, it's all to its uh, credit. The music is an exceptional piece as well. Um, the Zamzara music, as I said, I've used it in a lot of demos, but it's a, it's a classic example of a really good slow burn. Then it goes into a really nice other piece. It's very, very nice indeed. Um, so I quite like that as well. Again, it's, who did I say it was? Charles Deenan, didn't I? That's right. Mm. So, oh, good. Even the interstitial music is nice. Um, when you get into the game, it's kind of the game window is kind of split into two. And the bottom part in classic game of this type tradition is the UI. And at the top is the game area. Um, quite a big game area, very colourful, not dissimilar in size to um, the Thalamus game, which this kind of plays a little bit like. So uh, Hawkeye, not dissimilar to that, only the UI yeah. was at the top, but but it's that kind of sort of that kind of idea. So your top part is made up of quite nice shaded graphics of platforms and things like that with aliens of all different types and weirdnesses blocking thy path, which you must shoot and otherwise missile and get out of the way or avoid. At the bottom of your UI, which is kind of a sort of a kind of a semi-organic platform type thing with some indication of energy that you might have left and some, you know, obviously weapon indications, score, the number of men you've got left and things like that. You no, know, the key information down there with a nice sort of little graphic, it's quite nicely rendered and the graphics are quite nicely, nicely drawn. drawn. It's really nicely drawn. The whole game is nicely drawn. I imagine, I didn't see it on a CRT, but I imagine this looks really good on a CRT. Mm. Um, you've got some really nice code base in here. The monsters and the enemies that are in it are varied. They're weird. You know, they are what they are, weird. But they're, they're really nice. All of them have got this nice shaded effect. They all look like they're part of the same game. So it's all yeah. nicely done. Again, we've got some medium res going on here, but very nicely used color schemes here. Uh -huh. Really cleverly done. And it, considering it's got quite a limited palette, it actually feels like it's got a lot more colors on display than it does because of the cleverness of the shading the fact that you're moving around fast because this game controls really nicely and fast, everything's responsive. There's a lot to like there, isn't there? That's quite a lot. Good, good music, great game, simple to play, really nice graphics. It's hard to believe this is a budget game because mm. it's just so so accomplished. They've done this kind of thing before with these you know, mega accomplished budget games, Racket. Um, and this is really, you know, this is a classic example of a budget game that's really giving some of the full price ones a real show showcase of what the, what the computer is both capable of in the right hands but also, you know, you don't have to charge silly money for this. Take note, a lot of the games in this particular episode, with the exception maybe of Batman, have been charging sky-high prices for very average to rubbish games with not much graphically about them. Um, so this one is charging budget money 
for really, really good graphics, really great music. It's top form production, this, and I really, really like it. So yeah, brilliant shaded graphics. The alien looks great. Control's really nice. Dead simple game idea. Get from A to B. It's great, really easy to pick up and get straight into. You're not faffing about with lots of silly interstitial bits. Um, it might be impossible to do because it is quite hard without a doubt. Um, but you know what? The levels are over with quite quickly and there's plenty of them and they're all really varied and they change a lot. So it's not like you go in from one where it looks might have the same color scheme, but the layout, the monsters and everything's going to be completely different and the color scheme will change. It's doing a lot of stuff for three quid, but it is three pounds. What's not to like about that? Give this higher rating, Zap. 91. Why are you selling a little bit short? Give it the 95s or something like that. This is a really great budget game. And this is much better than some of the other rubbish we've had. Put this side by side with Better Dead Than Alien. That was 10 quid for an average rubbish shoot up You gave that 66%. Why are you only giving this the, sh- the short order? This is a great game. I know it's a sizzler, a silver medal rather, you know, a budget goal. Why not give it what it deserves, which is, I think is, is a really good pat on the back. Well done, Racket, because that's a great game. I really liked it. And you? Mm, yeah, really good run and gun sci-fi shooter, this. Really nicely drawn and shaded visuals, snappy controls, interesting super weapons. Um, I don't know if you could replenish them, so I kept running out, um, which then made progression really difficult. <laughs> so I don't, I'm not sure if I yeah, missed something or, or whether there's some way of getting... Yeah, you can, some... yeah, you can replenish them, yeah. You can All right, I must ups, have missed them. Don't know how. I thought on occasion, I mean, some of the level design is a little bit cheap, like enemy placements right at the start of levels. Just killing you if you can't manage this sort of floaty up thing. So there's a couple of them where I'd get there and it should be like the, that one that sort of like a tap where it'd fire and like the, the little things would bounce along and mm. just trap you in a thing and you'd be like, oh, for God's sake, they just drain all your energy immediately dead. But, you know, it is what it is. It's a budget game and it's it's hard. But for three quid, made primarily music side by one person, this is really, you know, extremely impressive. I really like the animation of the main character. It's almost, you know, too fast, but in a genre where we've moaned about sluggishness, it, it feels really good to control. There's a really snappishness to it, which I really liked. Yeah, I can't really complain about this and the score. Maybe higher, like you said. Might be a bit of a... I mean, we've not had it yet, but we will we'll come down the line something like Turrican um, as well yeah. as a, a little bit like that. But also as well, I mean, you mentioned Mario, but my mind went to um, the sort of flat running levels of Metroid. Um, yeah, when yeah, you're running yeah, totally. left to right and you're blasting and you're shooting stuff rather than yeah, sort of yeah, climbing yeah. vertical stuff. And that, that I was really reminded of that in this with the sort of enemies floating about and things like that. So no, no, this is a, an excellent thing. That Yeah, that UI design is really nice considering what we've just seen in Better Dead Than Alien with that, yep, that no thing there. There's a, there's a really, really cohesive clever design here and the use of color on different levels and the way you yeah it's just it's a really all really done good by budget. one guy remember one yeah, guy I think he's sadly I passed away as well now the guy yeah he has this, yeah um, yeah oh, one person made that just shows you doesn't it really Talent. very very good game um, yes, enjoyed is. my time with go this go and try it go try Zamzara mm, Zamzara we like it Zamora <laughs> anyway, let's move on hopefully we'll like the next one And our next one, well, what do we have here? This is a question of sport, Graham. Mm. Um, This is another attempt to convert a very successful British TV quiz show to the computer market in the form of a question of sport by Elite. For those who don't know, I don't know. I don't know how popular Question of Sport is around the world. Maybe I'll just, you know, Question of Sport um, is uh, known. Well, it's now just known. It's just Question of Sport now. They've dropped the A. Oh, yeah, I think so. 
Yeah. So it's a British television sports quiz show produced and broadcast by the BBC. It's the world's longest running TV sports quiz. Um, oh, following a pilot, still epi- it's still going. Following a pilot episode in December 1968 that was broadcast only in the north of England, the series has run since 1970, except wow, for so. 1973 and 1978. Oh, maybe it's a strike or something. Maybe and celebrated its 50th anniversary in 2020. So still going. Mm, wow. So it's been a mainstay on British TV for longer than I have been alive, and it's still going strong. There you go. Uh, so the show itself is like a really early precursor for a panel-style quiz that we get lo- mm. we've seen loads, you know, Mock the Weeks and all those kind of things. It's, you know, this is probably one of your earliest versions of that. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Um, we got two regular captains on either side, and they're joined, in this case of this, they're joined by two sports personalities each. In the 80s, I, I don't know if it, um, I don't know if he still does. I haven't watched it for years. The show consisted of uh, uh, seven rounds, I think it was. Um, these being the picture board round, where contestants pick a random number from one to 12 on a board and had to name the sports person revealed. Round two is a question based on the contestant's sport, usually after being shown a video of said sport. So if you're a footballer, you'd get like, who did show a clip of a goal and like who put the ball through and who scored it? You know, you'd have to answer them. Next up was the mystery guest round where a video was shown of a sports person, but their identity was never revealed and the teams had to guess who it was, like from really, really obscure angles, like a shot up their nose and yeah, really close know, up, yeah, yeah, and things like that. And it'd be, yeah, and you had to guess who it was and they'd be like doing something really odd, like cooking beans or something whatever round four was home and away where each team member could choose home to answer a question on their own sport for one point or away to answer a question on a random sport for two points round five is what happened next where teams are shown a clip of a piece of sport and have to guess what happened next you know like uh, a pigeon flew into the tennis player or something round six was the quick fire round where the teams had to answer as many questions they could in a minute and finally it was back to the picture board round for the rest of the images to be revealed that was the show now to the game Uh, at the time as well uh it had bill beaumont and Ian Botham at this point, That's 1989, right. as the team captains. Bill Beaumont was captain 15 years. Bill Beaumont. Yeah, he was, yeah. He's still there. He won't leave. Although my memories of it was Bill Beaumont and Emily Hughes. That was my that was my yeah. era. Uh, now to the game. So this was another one, £14.95 on tape. Ouch. Bit pricey. Bit pricey, Very this. Very pricey. Mm, and was coded by Richard Underhill with visuals by Steve Beverly and sound by Mark Cooksey. When the game loads, you're asked to pick a one or two player game. Then you pick what your speciality is from a grid with like icons of all the different sports. And then the other two people you want on your team. I think you pick a captain as well, but I don't think you do. No, you just pick speciality and then you pick two other people. So this is, it's done on a grid with a series of quite well-drawn character shots. They may be sports people. I want sure. I didn't recognize yeah. any of yeah, them. they were, I think. I think so, but I, I couldn't name Maybe Terry Butcher, someone. I don't know. Yeah. Once this is done, David Coleman, who was the host of the show at the time, asks which bank of questions you want to play. And there are five sets to choose from to load in. So you've got five different lots of questions and then it will load them in. It's on with the game. Coleman. So the game is presented thus. Coleman is in the center of the screen and there's kind of like this sort of, I don't know, the panel is on either side, but you you know, you can see the sort of caricature pictures. So the character pictures on either side, just kind of sort of representing the sort of the, uh, the layout of the uh, TV studio, I guess. At the top in a scrolling speech bubble, he will ask questions and the, the questions will appear in a scrolling speech bubble near the top. Once done, you get a series of multiple choice answers will appear and and then you get like a timer which is a round circle with it which will slowly deplete uh well sorry will quickly deplete actually um and you have to answer before it does so you've got to pick out one of the four move your joystick up and down press fire if you get it right well done you get the points if you get it wrong it's incorrect and the other team gets a chance to answer it for a bonus bonus go did you play this one player i presume you yeah. did yeah did did two did it work for you or no. did it did it 
You have to sort oh. of take the part of play, play yeah, the, yeah. the other team. Blatantly ignored my <laughs> yeah. player one regret, even though I'd selected player one, and it, it, it chose the two players Yeah, exactly. on and the opposing and, team. And chose the picture rounds and stuff, but you didn't do any answers. Yeah, it was <laughs> like, really weird. I don't know if that's really a bug. odd. I don't know. So there are only six of the seven rounds from the show here, and I'll tell you, and I'll go through them. They're the picture board round, where the pictures have been replaced by questions. Right. So that's a bit odd. Then you've got the mystery personality. There's no picture, no video, just some clue. Just some clues of who it is. <laughs> Again, this is odd. Next up is Homer Away. At least that's you know that feels like the show because you can pick, you get a football question or something if you pick football, whatever it is. The fourth round is what happened next. Um, and this is weird because you get a, obviously there's no video again, but you just get a description of something. David Coleman sort of says something, it scrolls across. And then the answers, usually you get multiple choice answers at the top. Here, they're actually in the scrolling point. So it says, what happened next? Is it A? This happened. Is it B? This happened. C. And then at the top, it just says pick A, B, C, or D. So you've kind of got to remember what what the things were. Really weird. I don't know why it flips around for that. Round round five is the quick fire round. Didn't really feel like a quick fire round at all, as the questions are quite slow to appear, uh, and there's no timer on screen, so you don't know how long you've got left. Um, and lastly, we have the picture board again with no pictures and just questions. This gets a lot wrong. <laughs> Yeah, just a bit. If you haven't sort of guessed that from the uh, descriptions of what you get. Whilst the names of the round are the same, Bar Home and Away, none of them are like the show. And this becomes essentially just a sports trivia game. The music on the title screen is not from the show. So the classic tune, dun, 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 everyone knows tune, ain't from that. So it's just a rather bland, you know, Matt Cooksey piece. The pace of the game is also slow. Questions take a while to appear. And once done, you just make a simple statement. And once you've done, it just makes a simple statement of who won and lost. And then it's back to the beginning. And you, I couldn't see any way to change teams or questions without loading the whole thing again. It just says to try again, press fire. And I did, and it was start back at the start of the, the game with the same questions. I was like, uh, I'd like to go back to the title screen and maybe pick a different team and stuff and all that lot. No, you can't have any of that. Shut up. <laughs> I guess the presentation of having the heads on either side of the screen is an attempt, as I said, to mimic the layout of the TV studio. But it all looks boring. It's boring. There's no animations. And when so much of the show is, is picture-based or video-based, this seems a very poor fit for the C64 because it just simply can't do that. You know, the pictures are going to be horrible. They'll probably be that Micropro wrestling thing we saw, the Microsoft wrestling thing. There'll be horrible digitized horribleness, which won't be very good. Um, the camera video. So what's the point in doing this? Is you've just basically reduced Question of Sports to a sports trivia show. So, no, I didn't particularly like this. Now, no. interestingly, I'm just going to sort of a little detour here because whilst looking into this as we do before we do it elite will also go on to release the game mike reads compute to pop quiz uh which is never reviewed in zap comes out in the next few months so it's not one we're going to ha- actually get to look at however bar some changes to contestants it's the exact same game and format as this it's just music questions it's just the sports questions have been replaced by music questions once again programmed by richard underhill even the small jingles and sound effects in the games are the same so i played them both even the rounds are the same i think there's one that's different like the jukebox round at the beginning is like you pick a you pick a category thing and it'll ask you a question it's exactly the same now I get it that the TV show may have followed the exact same format of a question of sport. It was a you know recognized format, so it might have done something. My thought is, though, someone just decided to draw some new visuals for a quick reskin and release it for a tenner for a quick book. Um, <laughs> I think that's what's happened here. My money's on the latter. But interestingly, we're never going to get to look at that because it's not reviewed in Zap, but 
there you go. If you want to play, if you want to play this with music questions instead of sports questions, go find Mike Reed's pop quiz, whatever it is. Anyway, question sport. It's not a good version of the show because so much of it is missing. So no, not one to go back to. I can't recommend this. Not for sure. It's not a good version. What did it get? Get fifty percent. That's being generous because it's not a question of sport. It's it's a sports trivia game. Mm with an attempt to have the accoutrements somewhere around the edges of a question of sports. So no, I didn't like this. What about you? Yeah, same. I don't like these kind of things anyway. It felt like a bit a bit cheaper around the edges, this, for, for crazy money. Elite sort of milking the teat of this game massively. Mm-hmm. Not by, off, by not offering much, I have to say. There's not a lot of effort gone into this. this. It feels very like someone just threw it together and there's not a lot of due care and attention in any of it, really. Maybe for one for the TV show fans, for completists out there who want to do this i don't get you'd get any enjoyment from it really the whole point of a question of sport is that you've got sports personalities taking part in a quiz yeah if you're playing it and you're not sports personality <laughs> and it doesn't and you're answering the questions for them it's not a question of sport it doesn't work does it, it makes no sense to do that nope and like you said i chose one player and for some reason it decided it was going to be two Questions are great if you know anything about sports trivia. Maybe I don't, so it was no, it's just a total switch off for me. I had a look at the Mike Reed game reskin, just rip off at 15 quid for essentially the same thing with slight variation of. I faces. think that one was only a tenner, the Mike Reed one, but even so, it's still a rip off. It's a rip off for what it is. You know, it yeah. should they could have just brought in some kind of downloadable thing for the question of sport game and converted it, couldn't they, or something? I don't know. It all felt cheap yet not cheap and i don't think it was very good certainly not going to be anything i'm not a big fan of question of sport oddly though i do like the blatant sky version of it which is um, a league of their own which i you know i quite like well that's the th- that's the thing what this the thing with this game that it so massively misses apart from all the rounds being wrong is that these panel shows work because of the panels and because yes. of the interactions between the different people on them, the captains who, you know, yeah. make everyone feel at ease and they've been there a while and they have jokes and they have a laugh and all that goes on. Like we, you know, Mock the Week. What was the uh, the the music one that they had? Never mind the Buzzcocks. Never mind the Buzzcocks, yeah. All, all these kind of shows, you know, Would I Lie to You? Um, the panel shows. Eight, yeah, eight, eight out of ten yeah. cats. They're the, the panel quiz show sort of thing, but the, but the enjoyment comes from, not in the questions being asked, it's in the interactions between the panel. Exactly. And when you reduce... We remove that element. Well, what you've got is a sports trivia game. Yeah. If you're scrolling the right and across as well, I'm just going to say this. It's not very inclusive that for a game of this type. No, it's not. Not, you know, not everyone can read at that speed. Not everyone can see it like that. You've, you've just, you know, you're rolling out huge chunks of an audience for that. Just, yeah. it's, just it's just not very nice. All, all in all, the whole thing. Not very good. No, it's not very good. Let's move on quickly. Hopefully the next one will be better. Graham, that's over to you. It's time for you to uh, head to the big top and tell us all about circus <laughs> games. £10, £9.95, another one, another whopper. But it got 41%. Something tells me the circus is in town, but it's not as much fun as people thought. This is published by Tynesoft. Who else is going to do this? Tynesoft. Who else? Designed with Subway software, apparently coded by Michael Headley. That's Headley. <laughs> and um, graphics are Michael J. Landreth doing the Landreth walk. Oi! I bet he gets that a lot. Sorry, Michael. Uh, Kevin Preston and David Mowbray, who makes a mean pork pie. Doesn't really. Maybe he does. I don't know. The musician here is Nick Talkington. I, I like that name, and I can't really explain why. <laughs> Talkington. Um, I give him a good talking to. Just now, Stop me doing stupid jokes like that. Anyway, right. So this this is a multi-event game based around the circus. It is. It really did, did is. Did anyone even want this? 
Who asked for this? No one. No one wanted this. No one. Because, I mean, because somebody's gone, well, we've done Summer Olympiad, we've done Winter Olympiad, so we've got that kind of covered. Someone's already done the, you know, cavemen beating each other, we've got that. Someone's done a, you know, it's a knockout, we've had that. Circus. Nobody's done bloody circuses. I don't believe it. And there's a reason why they didn't. There's yeah. a reason. And this game is the reason. Now, this game has all the bells and whistles. It looks the part on the whole, certainly in terms of the getting into it. And there is an American version of this as well, which we'll talk about, which isn't quite as good in those states. Oh, but, you know, dear. <laughs> hey-ho. So this is one of those multi-format, multi-games. On offer, you have such delights as tiger training. Ooh. Trapeze. Ah. Tightrope. <laughs> e. Trick riding. Eh? Um, and or international that. competition which is kind of a, all of them all of the above so you can so choose these either individually now I don't was it me or once you selected these that was it you selected tiger training there is no way out yeah, um, yeah. I couldn't get out of it so I had to go let you reload the game to get to look at any of the others uh-huh. which is a bit daft so you get a nice title screen you choose the number of players of which there can be four maximum I think here you can give them names choose their cities for reasons <laughs> you know you could just can <laughs> And then you can sort of go and play through the events. So I played said events. They range in quality. And the graphics, and I'll tell you what, they all suffer from the same problem. So I'm going to just discuss the problem with them all. They all have nice graphics on the whole, most of them. The, the exception of the Tiger Training, which is a bit crap compared to the others. But, you know, the, tra- the trapeze has got quite nice animation and graphics in the way that it operates. The tightrope walk, which is kind of a walk across a tightrope, and you've got kind of a view of an overhead view of the tightrope on the right kind of looks nice the trick riding does look good you've got parallax scrolling well animated horse all that kind of stuff that's all good but this problem of this game is twofold number one these events might look exciting but they're really boring yep and that's because the way they've chosen to make the controls on them suffers from what can only be described as the Tinesoft curse and that Tinesoft curse is that they're borderline uncontrollable and unenjoyable at the same time you're not going to get any enjoyment out of this so the tiger training, for example, you've got a chair in one hand and a whip in the other. What looked like to me like giant sized tic tacs float around on the screen with lions going backwards and forwards in kind of graphic tradition. And you kind of whip them and then you'll get mauled yeah. because you won't know what you're doing. So you just get mauled. <laughs> yeah. And then you'll come back again for another go and you might hit a tiger in the face, which reverses its direction as well it might if you did that. Or if you're probably in reality, if you go around waving sticks at tigers, they're going to just tear you to shreds, and that's what happens repeatedly. So this is not really tiger training in as much as this is more you're standing there with a chair getting eaten repeatedly. Tiger, tiger feeding. It's tiger feeding, yeah. And, and there's no enjoyment to be had in that, and that's all there is to that. I could not get a handle. And I've got the um, manual, and the manual does explain as best it can all the various nuances of the controls and how to get it. But it's just, it's not intuitive enough. Yep. And now we've said this time and time and time again about these kind of multi-event games. If you're not making your controls simple, and the Caveman Olympics was a great example of where they took note of this advice, retro- retroactively, of course, because we mm-hmm. used the time machine and everything. They took note of the advice, and that advice is simple. If you want people to play and get into these games, make the controls dead straightforward and easy. So if I've got things running across the screen and I've got a chair in one hand and a whip in the other, make it so that I either do press the button and press up to do a thing or to the right and do a thing and, it, and make, the, make something happen on the back of that. But that's not... You don't really know what's happening. All you just see is, you know, Tiger going left and right. I'm not sure what I was supposed to do with them. You meant to actually heard them into the center thing, but I, yeah. I didn't get that from this. No, um, and nor could I ever do it. So I understand up. So, and that's the that's the problem with every single event here. You'll get to the trapeze, 
you'll start with the trapeze and obviously you know what a trapeze is and you know that you're going to have to go climb all the you start at the top on top of the trapeze pole i guess you call that you jump onto the swingy swingy trapeze thing and then you're going to have to do something you know what i did i did a spectacular flying leap into the midair and just crashed and just <laughs> missed completely and just i was like uh, and i imagine everyone going ooh. <laughs> Like that, when I landed yeah. in a crumpled bone heap. Um, and I just did that repeatedly. So well, it's not, this isn't a trapeze. I was just falling off something with great <laughs> elaboration because I couldn't get a handle of the controls. I could swing backwards and forwards, I think, but I'm not sure if it was just doing that or whether I, my pathetic attempts at trying to steer the sort of the speed <laughs> yeah. of this in some way were doing anything or not. And then when I pressed the button to do the thing, he did this really elaborate flippy flappy flew. I didn't mean to do that, nor did I understand what I was doing. And then he just flew off. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, as much as I would pay good money to watch that happen in a circus, for <laughs> cruel reasons that probably say a lot about my personality type, um, it's not fun to repeatedly do that. Because one thing I'll tell you about these games, AD, which I've discovered over the time of playing this podcast, if it's not fun within the first 10 seconds, it's never going to be. Nope. With these events. Epic's a reason that Summer Games 1 and 2 and these early Epic's games mastered this is because they knew that. They knew that if you're not into this game, if you're not controlling this game and into the race very quickly, you're going to switch this off because it's not interesting. And and then to add the little funny quirks, that makes it, you know, that's just rounds the edges off on what is, you know, quite interesting stuff. They don't do any of that here. This felt like it was actually a serious attempt at a circus game. Like the whole point of a circus game, I'd have thought, would have been to have fun. No clowns in sight, no funny stuff, yep. and none of that. You go to the tightrope, and it's 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 quite tense. <laughs> I, I mean, obviously, but all you're really going to do in this is walk out about maybe a centimeter, maybe more. And go yeah. <laughs> no matter what you do with that joystick, it will fall off that tightrope. No matter what you do, there's no way you're getting from the one side of that tightrope to the other. It doesn't help that you're looking at the screen and it breaks your eye brain control. Because on the right-hand side of the screen, <laughs> under your right yeah. eye, you've it's got top-down down. view. But it, and up is down, <laughs> up is down, and down is up. And on the right, you've got like an um, orthographic crew. <laughs> exactly. So and the then up you've was got, up, so, left was left, right exactly. was right. Yeah. This is so, so stupid. It, so it, it literally breaks your brain. trying to. So you find yourself looking at one thing or the other, and neither of those things make sense. So it's just then you'll go, ah, ah. oh, try again, <laughs> ah, try again, ah. And the, the two, ten people, roll. two people pop up and go, not. You're like, ah. Yeah, you're like, oh, that's, that's so demoralizing. I don't want to do tightrope anymore. I broke every bone in my game. body for that naught. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I've just proved to myself that I'm neither a tiger trainer, a trapeze artist, or a tightrope walker. Okay, trick riding. Maybe that's my bag. That's my thing. No, it's not. <laughs> I'll grant that a horse came running on with a person on it. There's no doubt about that. And the parallax scrolling, ooh, that looks quite nice. Did I manage to do anything? No. Did I fall off that horse? Yes, a lot. I, I just ran off. Some, I managed to do some stuff. Oh, I stood up on it. Yeah, yeah. But it just, and then it was like, what else do I do? What, else, what am I supposed to be doing? <laughs> I don't know. What, is anyone grading this? Am I just running through a circus <laughs> on a horse for no reason? Is anyone paying any attention to what I'm doing? You know, I'm like, it just felt like it was a bit all for nothing. And I tell you what, this must be the world's biggest circus. That horse was running at full pelt for a good, what felt like forever. That circus tent must be about 10 miles long because horses <laughs> can run pretty fast. You know, they're a fast old animal when they get going. Yeah. No, it's all well animated and everything else, but you cannot make this game do the things you need it to do in any meaningful way. That's a massive problem for a game that's based on your ability to do those things. Make the control simple. These, the idea of balancing something is just, you know, you've got left and right. You push forward to go forward and left and right is your balance and you have to just, you know, do slight adjustments. We've seen it on a number of different games where they've done something like that. You know, it's not difficult to do. The trick riding stuff, you know, follow the examples that have been set for you by the by the the big players in this field, your epics and stuff. You don't have to try that hard. And they did this with some of their own Olympiad games. You know, they over-egged their pudding, mm-hmm. trying to make it, you know, more control, a bit more 
No, it's a simulation of the circus. No, no one's ever said that. No one wanted that. Make a circus game and make it fun. When you play The Secret of Monkey Island on the Amiga, and at one point you go into a circus stop and you're fired out of a cannon, that's all fun and hilarious. It's funny. Make it like that. Don't make it like this. Where is the cannon firing? And where's the clowns? And where's all that stuff? No. Yeah. No, 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 no. This misses the mark for me. The This is the UK version or the Euro version. Uh, and it misses the mark for me. So I didn't I didn't get anywhere in anything. And uh, it looked okay. Graphics and some of the scene setting graphics are quite nice. And they do look the colours of the circus. I, you know, no no problem with that. Yeah, everything else visuals. is everything else is a misfire. Now let's go to the, the really odd US version. Do we have to? I, I'm not even. Well, I'm not going to go too far into it. I'm just going to say because you know they didn't look at it in Zap, so I'm only looking at it because it's just you know there is it's one. It's just there, yeah, yeah. It was published by something called Key Punch Software. That's what you'll be doing when you see this game, anyway. So it's <laughs> ironic that they called it that. It was coded by Adam Trudianic and Laszlo Horvath. The graphics are by Sazaba Azazi, and the musician was Nick Talkington again. Good old Nick Talkington. Yay. Um, now, the game, it's not the same as the UK one, graphically. Um, it's really weird and bitty. I'm not exactly sure. I didn't get that far into it because it bugged out massively as well. I had major problems trying to get this to run either on NTSC or PAL. When it loaded up, the intro was NTSC, so I switched it to NTSC mode. The game was PAL, so I put it back into PAL mode, and it just it, it didn't quite work, and it was flickering and stuttering all the way. The only bit I got to view was the kind of, and it was the quite nice. The spotlights landed on the sort of the um, what do they call the guy that runs the circus, the main guy, what's ring the ringmaster. The ringmaster focused on the ringmaster. He appeared in like a top hat. I thought for a minute, is it Manimal? Because he looks a bit like that. But he, <laughs> he appeared, walked into the middle, and then the, all the flickering and the game sort of the games. I never got the far enough into the game. I looked at a few screens of it because I'm not going to go say too far into it. It looked like it was an absolute mess. All the reviews say it was awful, terrible thing. Mm. You know, it should not be. No. Um, so no matter which way you look at it, which matter which version of this you play, no matter which Nick Talkington soundtrack you're listening to, circus games there may be, but circus fun it ain't. And it's just a bit of a nightmare to control with a lot of some pretty graphics thrown in for good measure. But £10 for this, nah, it got 41% in Zap. I'd have given it way less than that for me because I don't think it works as a game very well. What fun is it if you can't control it? Have you not learned this yet, Tynesoft? Shame on you really for that. What did you think? Yeah, it's not a good multi-event game at all. This is it. The events are dull, really tricky to control, yep. or know if you're doing, or, no, or more importantly, know if you're doing anything right. Yeah, like you said, that trapeze one. Am I am, am I going faster? Am I <laughs> am I supposed to? When should am I, I be, supposed to let be go? happening? <laughs> What's going on? The most fun I had with this, exactly what you had, was sending my trapeze out, spinning, spinning, always <laughs> spinning off the bottom of the screen, which made me laugh. Yes. It's like, uh, uh. Ooh, there he goes. Oh. <laughs> spinning, always spinning. <laughs> always so spinny. Some of the animations are okay, the horse and the horse riding bit, but the various tunes and intros and the general lack of feedback and randomness of the events. What are you, the hell are you supposed to do in the tiger training bit? I was just whipping them, mauled. I whipped, so they got the tic tac filled up with red. Got mauled. What's going on? <laughs> just no. This just had me reaching for the off switch. Only four events, yep. too. Only four. Yep. Poor. Yep. It's Terrible. not a good circus, even for circus standards. No, I mean, you know, you could have had anything. You could have had like you know, throwing pies at like a whack-a-mole type thing, throwing pies at yep. clowns who stick the faces out, and you know, a little yep. bit of fun and stuff like that. And, pff, uh, anything, uh, yeah. Anything, anything but this. I don't know. As for the horror that is the US game with the same name, yeah. it looked bad in 1985, let alone in the here and now of 1988, 99. The the loading screen, title screen of that circus game, so the US one, <laughs> that that character is just is 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 just nightmare inducing. 
it reminded yeah, good, me, it? it put me in mind of um, that hand thing. <laughs> it is, yeah. It's Trey St. John, yeah, it is. Trey St. John, yeah. It yeah, put yeah. me in mind of that. And then when the when the Ringmaster came out and it's doing that thing, I was like, there's, there's some, again, this is one of those games, we said it about that what, a really weird one years ago, Necromancer, that you're like, yeah. there's something odd about this. If I play this too long, then I'm going to lose something, like a part yeah. of my soul. Exactly. I Can I just it. say, by the way, on that screen, and I'm not going to, make any elaborations i'm just going to say spotlights are not brown okay they generally are white just saying okay just and that's it i'm not going to say any more about it it's, it's just awful this the, yeah. and the controls did you try and control the um the unicycle <laughs> i couldn't get it to control anything it was just it was all over the place i mean I, I was running around at one point with the i think the seal i meant to think they were meant to be seals yeah yeah and some monkeys are trying to chase and you're trying to throw a ball at them i mean have you seen that movie um, i think it's called life force <laughs> They look like the creature out of that, like yeah. three of them. I'm like, that was difficult to deal with in one of them. Never mind three of the damn things. This was the, this was a nightmare of a the, thing. Did you see the monkey, by the way? The monkeys made me laugh as well in that. So anyway, for novelty value, you might want to check it out, but I wouldn't. No, because it's dreadful. Or pair of horrors. No good circus games is all I look from. Yeah. took from this pair of horrors. Awful stuff. Ugh. That American one left a stain on me. Yes. Let's move along quickly. Let's leave that circus and move into our next one. I think we should. And our next one, well, this is a biggie. This is Afterburner. <laughs> Afterburner. Or should it be Afterburner 2? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it yeah. is. It's finally yeah, here for the is, C64. Yeah. It's got a whopping 17%. Oh, no. Yeah. Is this another contender Uh-oh. for a crap cave conversion category at the end of the year? Could be, but we'll see. Anyway, lots to talk about here. I'll try to keep it brief, though. So Afterburner, it's another Yu Suzuki arcade game based on the Sega X board technology that we also saw powering the recent Thunderblade in the arcades that we kind of spoke about last time. So I'm not going to go too much into what that is. Powerful, powerful thing for the time. Heavily influenced by Top Gun this, just a bit, although it had originally been planned as a more... Yeah, no steam- doubt about that. Yeah, but it had originally been planned as a more steampunk-style game based on the film Laputa, Castle in the Sky, directed by Hiro Miyazaki. Mm which was the first film from Studio Ghibli. Um, that was the original plan for this. But when uh, Yu Suzuki saw Top Gun, I was like, no, 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 we're going to make it. They fly around with them. It was changed though, to be more attractive to a worldwide audience. After the success of Top Gun, I place you in control of an F-14 Tomcat as you fly into the screen and blast anything that comes your way. It's an evolution of games like Space Harrier, um, a Sega's arcade throws and scales multiple sprites and rotates. You spin around this, you know, around the screen. And this was also housed like those games, like uh, Thunderblade was, I think, and like Space Harry was, in a massive sitting arcade cabinet that threw you about as it twisted and rotated as you played it. It was released in 1987, 50p ago. was once again a huge hit for Sega. I'm not going to go into stats. It was massive and was followed later that year by the revision Afterburner 2. It wasn't really a sequel. It was more of a revision because all it did was added a few new stages and the ability to speed up and slow down. But aside from that, it was pretty much the same game. Um, and it is that version that most of the home console versions were built from. And that includes this European version of Afterburner on the C64. But interestingly, not the US version, which I will speak of later. So here we are at the hands of Activision. And this was developed by Dalali Software. They'd done Biggles, Mean Streak, and Yogi Bear before this. So hardly <laughs> a go-to developer for a massive task like this, I would have thought. It's produced by Software Studios, who you may remember from such delights as Enduro Racer, Championship Sprint, Explorer, Galactic Games, Karnov, and Predator. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and John, um, and also it's produced by Jonathan Dean. It's got graphics by Focus, whoever that is, a title screen by Nick, and music from Adam Gilmore. 
So when the game loads, we get a variant of the sort of animated balls from the title screen in the arcade, like the um, and an approximation of the Afterburner logo. Okay, it's a C64 version of the Afterburner Two logo. Indeed, the balls have two yeah. on them in Roman numerals. So this is clearly Afterburner 2 in all but the release name because it's just Afterburner. It's so weird. You know, I suppose they couldn't release Afterburner. It, you couldn't call it Afterburner 2 because everybody would be like, where's Afterburner? So the release is called Afterburner, yeah. but this is Afterburner 2 and it is going to get anyway. We also get treated to the UI because like that game we played earlier, it's omnipresent to all screens. Uh, the music playing is okay as well. It's not brilliant. certainly passable. Pressing fire asks if you want music or sound effects. Choose music. As the in-game tunes are actually decent renditions of the arcade tunes, I thought, and the sound effects are... Uh, rubbish so don't listen to them just put the music on and then you're into the first level loading so this is a multi-load game every level is a separate load as i said the ui takes up the top and bottom of the screen and at the top you get your score how many planes you've hit and what stage you're on there's two empty squares in the top left and right as well but they'll come into it a little bit later at the bottom you get a speed gauge and the number of lives represented by little plane icons i think you get eight including the starting one in the middle, it's empty, but it's the lock-on indicator for when your missiles lock on. And in the bottom right is the number of missiles you have left. The game takes place in a window in the center of the screen and starts with you taking off from the deck of the Sega Enterprise airship carrier. It's not that great to look at. First <laughs> impressions are not great either. It's not, no. No, your, your plane is an, it's an okay version of the arcade plane. It's a C64 version of the arcade game. but you uh, And you fire automatically, so you always fire. And you've, but you fire character bullets that color everything around them. So as they go over the landscape, they've got the color of blue around them because obviously that's the sky bit. But you know, it's a bit. I don't like that very much. But it's what it is. And unfortunately, they don't go in a straight line. Weirdly, they kind of curve in the third or fourth scale of them before coming back into the middle. It's kind of weird. They kind of go out to the right and then back in. Very odd. Yeah. I'm also at this point. You're supposed to be flying over the ocean. I'm not sure what the blue things are on the sea that you're flying <laughs> over. <laughs> this is these big balls of something and they're like yeah. nothing i've ever seen on the ocean i don't know what they're supposed to be anyway <laughs> eventually some distant black dots will appear and you can shoot them with your ever-present machine gun or move your cursor over them because that's what essentially what you control you control a cursor that you move around and the plane sort of follows after that and once you move your cursor over one of these black dots it will lock on it will say lock on at the bottom you can press the fire button to release a missile at them that will fly towards them with a sort of scaled sort of smoke trail and, and hit one and blow it up after some time they will fire fire at you like really fast if you just get out of the way yeah. um you need to dodge their fire and then you repeat this and they'll at some point fire fly towards you and this will go on until the level ends where you get your bonus score for how many missiles you have left and it's on to the next the next level which is yellow and brown for some reason at the start of the third level you get to refuel right at the beginning of a as a giant plane lowers in front of you and then again it's more of the same it's afterburner this is afterburner you fly a plane into the screen and you shoot shit that's it every now and then a missile will come from behind you and indicate in the top corners will flash to let you know i think you need to do a barrel roll or just trying to escape from it or speed up a little bit to try and avoid it by flicking the joystick mm -hmm. back and forth from left to right and that's it really now okay there are problems it doesn't look graphically great it's twitchy and it's glitchy no it's not glitchy it's twitchy and it's a bit all over the place but this version does have all 23 stages of the arcade which is you know good to see um, it's even got the interst interstitial stages where you, like I said, where you you refuel. It's also got the interstitial stages where you land and refuel and restock missiles. And the uh, the biker from Super Hang On drives off under you. Don't really look much like the biker from Super Hang On. Looks more Not of a blocky really. thing. And the people and trucks don't look like people and trucks, but it's there. So everything that is in the arcade version is here. Okay, so I think you know for that. 
for that alone, and we've seen some arcade games, there's a lot of arcade conversions where they've not managed to fit it all in, they've not done it all. I think you, you've got to give it some credit because it would have been easy for them to just do like 10 levels um, and be done with it, you know, knock out the interstitial bits and, and just be done with it. It's even got the canyon levels where you fly through the canyon and the big tall sort of canyon bits, although the frame rate does take a bit of a dive during those. So, mm. you know, uh, so that's what it is. I mean, it's it, it, this is after burning the arcade game on the C64. It's all there in that respect. Uh, and it got 17%. I personally think that's a bit harsh. I'm going to be honest. I mean, it's Afterburner 2. It's it's not it's not horrific. It's what they could do to try and do a feel, you know, a look and feel of the arcade monster that's trying to emulate. He's not got, you know, okay, we'll come to the American version in a bit. But what we said about Thunderblade, I think that's a better port. But I think it's maybe there's not as much to fit in. I know it all did in a single load. There's 23 levels here. I think some ports are just beyond the machine to trying to cram in. There was a thing I read about um, how they were struggling doing not just the sprite scaling, but the sprite rotating for when you're spinning round. So this does that. I mean, it, it does it. Um, trying to fit all that into a one megahertz machine from 1982, you're onto a thankless task. I think this is, you know, this is one of those. So whilst it's not brilliant, it's not even particularly good. I didn't hate this, and 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 I found this is exactly what I thought a port of Afterburner Two is going to be like on the C sixty four. I just what I expected is what I got because what I was mm. expecting was exactly this. Um, yeah. And so when I think about the horrors of Guerrilla War, or I think about the horrors of what was the other crap one, Double Dragon, yeah. having seen versions that they could have done around them. You know, they're horrific. This is exactly, you're never going to get this, ever. It's just not going to work. However, there's the US version to deal with, which seems to be a really strange thing all of its own. Um, mm. Handled by Mindscape, it's coded by Scott L. Blum and Darren Stubbington. It's got a great title screen music, piece of music by Jerome Tell. It does. Crack it. It's the same tune as the US-UK version, but it's a much better version because obviously Jerome Tell is clearly a much better handler of the season. I will say that, but there's no music in the rest of the game. So give Adam Gilmore credit. He's done passable versions of the arcade tunes in the, in the UK version, and they're fine. and No problem with them. From the start, the visuals on this are much nicer. There's a far better plane and a better sense of 3D uh, in this. I don't know if it was just my version, because I watched the version on YouTube, but I also, also play in this. The version I was playing, my plane had like a really sort of slight judder to it. I don't know if you you had that as well on no, your version. No. I had a really slight judder to it. It gave it kind of a weird sort of really cool sort of speed weird thing. I don't know whether I was, play, I was playing it. I was playing it in the wrong mode, PAL or NTSC or whatever, but it's kind of weird. Um, but kind of really works. I was like, that's cool. That's a cool effect. Obviously not meant mm. to be, but it was a cool effect. The aircraft carrier that you take off from is better realized, and the 3D effect is faster and more effective with the ocean actually looking like an ocean. The game here takes up the whole screen as well. There's no UI, bar and a, just an, a, like an, is it an altimeter yeah. uh, in the top right. So when you're banking, and that's in the top right corner. However, as far as I could make out, I'm playing this quite a while. The number of attacking planes is kept much lower with just only one or two coming at you. This is, a, you know, to enable them to be more detailed. I think there might have been three on screen at once, but one of them was off far in the distance. So I think it's done. Mm. You know, they, they keep it down to keep the load on. So there's all you do it. So all it's doing is rotate, you know, the, the horizon line, a bit of 3D effect, an altimeter, your plane, and two other planes. That keeps the speed up and keeps the thing in. So 
that's how they've done this. You can see what the you know the sacrifices they've made to do what it has to do what they've done. Control is slightly different as well. You have to tap the fire button to fire. You have to hold it down for a second to load a missile, which you can then fire when you lock on. It has all the levels that the UK version has. The Canyon versions are not the Canyon levels are not quite as good. They're a bit flatter and a bit boringer. But it also has some strange additional parts, which include you shooting down some giant spaceship after certain levels before landing on the road to refuel and rearm. Weird. The explosions when you destroy the enemies are much better in this though. They're really quite cool. As is the one where you get hit and go down. Um, it even has some speech at the end as well. Um, it's an odd version because although it moves faster and smoother, it, like I said, it achieves that by keeping what is on screen down so just you in at most a couple of planes and very little UI. When you fire missiles in this one, they just fire off compared to the smoke trails that you get and winding into enemies in the UK version. So, you know, it is what it is. It's the better version. There's no two ways around it and probably a better game to play. But after trying both of these, the best version of Afterburner we have so far in the machine is Hellfire Attack. But that had its own issues. But, you know, speed it up and put music on, and that was way better. I enjoyed that more than this. Overall, the EU version isn't great. It's not great. I don't think it's the disaster that we've seen in things like Double Dragon and Guerrilla War. It's not brilliant. I think 17% is a bit harsh. It's I've seen worse arcade conversions. And the US version is probably the version to play if you really want to see Afterburner on the C64. But on the whole, yeah, just go play the arcade version these days, which is easy enough done. This was always a hiding to nothing as far as I was concerned. You were never going to get this running properly on the C64, and you got exactly what you wanted, expected. What did you think? Yeah, principally the same deal. Obviously, we you know we 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 looked at Thunderblade and we said, you know what, we admired it for its ambition and at least it tried. There's a lot of arcade to fit in. These are the you know let's just be bullish about it. These should never have been converted to the C64 um, because the C64 is not going to give you, you know, you're going to get a very rough approximation. Yeah. Okay, let's take that for what it is then. So how are these rough approximations? Well, we know, like we said, for Thunderblade, there's a lot crammed into the C64 version here. Of course, for everything you're throwing onto the screen, it takes up memory, which you don't have a lot of, and a processor speed, which you don't have a lot of. So, mm. you know, there's going to be compromises. I agree with you. I think they gave this a bit of an undue pasting when there's been games that deserved far more of a pasting than they didn't give it. I think they went into this with ridiculous expectations, and hence the reason it got 17%. I didn't go into this with those kind of expectations, having now played well over a thousand games for this podcast, yeah. many of which have, you know, dabbled with this kind of viewpoint on, on all sorts of different ways. So, no. Are they going to be able to agree after burner on the C64? Absolutely not. Is this about as good as it's going to get in one way? Well, yes and no, because we've got this weird USA version. So I think it is a bit tragic to look at. And I think if you just took it at that, you'd look at it and go, Ugh, God, big graphic blocky mass things, things shuffling around the screen sort of this is a ripoff. This, this, you know, it's, I don't like it. It's not very good. And it's, you know, I've taken this back to the shop. I'm not happy with this. This isn't, you know, mm-hmm. your expectations need to be set for where they're going to be realistic here. You know, you're not dealing with Pac Man. This is a massive multi hardware monstrosity of an arcade with all the power of lots of hardware behind it. You know, we saw a taste of that for Thunderblade. Well, this is the same sort of engine, isn't it, as you say? So if you take your expectations of, of the hard sell of what it's going to be like and look at it for what you get, well, there's better versions of this out there, like you say, that play better. And we've we've played through quite a few of these games in, in, the, in the time that are afterburnery and that we've enjoyed and they've been a bit better than this in terms of its 3D styling and the way it has that kind of style. And there is a lot of big moving stuff on here. Okay. So the UK version, it's, it is what it is. I don't think it deserves 17%. I think that's harsh because I think what they were given was an insurmountable thing to try and achieve. And they did the best they could on a 64K computer with eight sprites. And some mm-hmm. a little bit of hardware and a one megahertz processor. 
No, this is a version of Afterburner that you're going to get on that hardware. That's it. And they've done the best they can. The USA version is multi-loader, isn't it? So it's a bit more bit more loading involved. It's obviously on disc-based, which always advantages these USA games. It's obviously got that Jerome Tell music, which is really nice. Lots of samples in there. It's, the samples are taken straight off the Afterburner arcade. So it's got that nice sort of Sega sounding arcade tune to it, which is great. Mm-hmm. It has got a slightly better graphics. In fact, it's slightly better at everything. I thought it played faster. I had it in NTSC mode. Of course, NTSC mode games play faster anyway, because it's just, you know, you've got, I guess, less lines on the screen. I don't know what the mechanics are behind it, but it plays slightly faster. And there is actually a reasonable game in there, albeit that I think it's really, whether it's got a little bit more, a few extra pixels around the edges, or there's a little bit of graphic tidying up, or however they've made the parameters work you're still playing a very lo-fi budget of afterburner regardless of which version mm. you play here i'm on slightly faster with a bit with the music's a bit nicer slightly better imagery but there's a compromise with how much is on the screen the other one's trying to do the opposite trying to cram as much of the arcade in terms of its visual complexity on there but obviously it's going to be a blocky 8-bit version of that because you don't have the kind of mm-hmm. the victory pink ain't no system x however the you know sega called that um so it's better in bits uh, maybe they're the bits that count maybe they're not i don't know we would never have found out in the uk i think uh, the only re- reason i came across the usa version way back in the day which by the way was the only version i played i'd never played the uk version i'd only ever played that us one it's because oh, right, i'd okay. obviously got i'd obviously got it on a crack yeah, yeah yeah and so i'd got the cracked version and somebody and a lot of the times they did used to crack the ntsc ones to pal but of course they would be slower so i remember thinking hey, this seems a lot faster than i remember it but I don't know. Is it leagues apart from the UK one? I think some of its trimmings are nicer, but it's on a, it's on a disc and there's probably more of it on that disc. Is it a better game? I think they're both about as good as you're going to get for 64K trying to render the kind of hardware that it's trying to render. I think they were a bit cruel at 17%. Now, as far as my enjoyment of the game goes, I'm not struck on Afterburner. Like I said about Thunderblade, they never really did it for me in the arcades. I mean, they're no. a novelty value. They're all right, but I find them very repetitive and a bit boring and a bit meh as far as I'm concerned, cabinet or not. So the arcades are okay, but eh, the C64 versions, they are what they are. And so no, I'm not going to be overly critical of people's hard efforts. And we've took a different stance. And this isn't the stance I'm taking for when there's arcade games that are clearly games that should have been converted well and weren't like 1943, for example, or Karnov, or, or Double Dragon, or Guerrilla War. Or any of those games where there's a clear, yes, they are advantaged in an arcade, but not so advantaged that you couldn't do them justice in some way or another. Mm-hmm. Whereas this, the odds were completely against them trying to create anything meaningful and they had a go and this is how it turned out. Well, it is what it is. I quite enjoyed my time playing it, I guess, but for what I played, but I would never have enjoyed it that much anyway. No. Just to say as well, I mean, the US one as well doesn't have, like I said, I think the US one is based on Afterburner because it doesn't have the speed. So it has no UI, so it's not having to contend with you being able to speed up and slow down as well, which obviously takes up more processor time because you've got to figure in yeah. the control system and do that. Um, I, I was I was um, reminded that probably the best one of these, and whether they could have like you know played the thing was that old one we played back in '86 was uh, Skyrunner. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, yeah, I remember Skyrunner. Yeah, that was really sort of quite impressive three D technically impressive 3d flying yep. into the screen shooting stuff on a in a plane yep. type thing and i was just looking at it now i'm thinking you know what if that had just taken this angle yeah could have maybe made instead like the of ground trying... skimmer on the sky run yeah like yeah so, yes yeah, so you start off in a plane you start off in a sort of a plane thing and then you sort of go to yeah, like yeah. a return of the jedi bike thing yeah. um and i was thinking if because someone made this point where i think we were discussing double dragon um on the discord the, the other day sort of thing about saying like how like the nez who people who usually convert these games to the nez took a different slant and they because they did their own thing because they had to and they made something that was to the strength of the machine and you're thinking if you could have done that for some of these c64 games like we saw that skyrunner did a decent 3d effect 
shooting stuff, you are playing. You could have that's to some degree you could have said, you know, you could have called it afterburner redux or something or something, but done it, I don't know. Trying to just replicate what's there, you know, in the arcade is never for these monsters. No. Never a no, good idea. It, I noted on um Lemon that somebody put that um the European version was looked like it was a version based on the arcade cabinet, but the US version was more of an approximation of what a master system version would look like. So it's like they converted the master system version of Afterburner to the C64, oh, right. which may explain why it looks the way it does, maybe. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Afterburner is what it is. It was exactly what we expected, and no more, no less. We've got one more game. Let's get to that before we finish off for the week. And that, Graham, that's to you. Peter Packrat. Peter Packrat, 199, um, 76%. This was published by Silverbird, copyright Atari, which is an odd thing, and I'll come to that. Mm. The developer was Software Creations. The conversion was by Michael Agar, or Agar, musician, Tim Follin. Hey, 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 it's Tim Follin. Hey, hey it's Follin. Tim, Timmy, little Tim, Tim <laughs> Follin. John Follins, lad. It probably isn't. Um, Bobby and Joan Follins. <laughs> I knew you were going to say Bobby then. <laughs> Bobby um, Follin. So Bobby. <laughs> Fo- so the. Uh, prob- I don't know. Um, Peter Packrat. So this is the game. Peter Packrat is a cute little rodent who lives in a junkyard. He likes nothing more than picking up all the nice things people don't mean to throw away. He runs around his neighborhood collecting all the trash treasures he can lay his hands on and carries them back to his nest where he can look at them in peace. However, the junkyard isn't such a safe place and is patrolled by Riff Rat, the leader of the Rats of Flatbush, his minions and various other villains, including Scrapper the Junkyard Dog, Sticky the Spider, Night Owl, Slugger the Bat, Big Al the Alligator, Diamond Jim the Snake and Claude the Cat. All these guys are very nasty pieces of work. Boo hiss. When Peter's collected everything from the junkyard, he he hunts the sewer... And then he has all the treasures from there. He, once he's got all the treasures from there, he can look in, look in the tree. This is just off the instructions. <laughs> By the time he has searched there, someone is sure to have dumped something wonderful back there. So um, where he started. So Peter Patrat, get collected. This is, it's, an old, it's a bit of an odd thing, this. This is based <laughs> on an old arcade game, this. It is. Um, it really is. So this is based on a 1985 Atari arcade game. Really strange, the arcade. Do you know, from 1985 game, the main processor of the arcade is a 68010. So it's a 68,000 processor. That's so the same, basically the same processor as an Amiga. Really? A 16-bit processor in 1985. Odd, isn't it, that? It's got a 6502 just controlling the main sound. Got with its, uh, with shares the 8-bit I.O. with its 68010 and its FM sounds, FM sounds in 1985 are generated by a YM2151. In hardware terms, this arcade really sits in an unusual place in 1985. It's really weird. Is that not what they use for like for the like paperboy and stuff? Is it very similar? Is it? I'm not 100 percent sure, but six eight zero one zero processors nineteen eighty five would have been quite expensive. I'd have thought. So I don't. I didn't even know this was an arcade. And no, no. having looked at the arcade on YouTube, it looks like an Amiga game. <laughs> looks like it does yeah, look it like does. one. Yeah, yeah. It's really strange. Anyway. So the game plays out over a kind of medium res junkyard, which isn't terrible. It's just a bit oddly colored. So light blues, grays, and white. All right, this is what it is. On the screen is your sprite, which while oddly hard to see at times, is at least rat shaped and it moves kind of like that. It moves okay with the joystick and you can run, jump, and move around. Not unlike Monty Mole, one might say. Um, or maybe even Disney's, um, what was that Disney one with the under, with the rats in the underground? What was that one? Oh, 
Don't know. Like it, but that one, not unlike that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you, so you move, slide, jump around the junkyard over the obstacles, looking for things to collect, which will flash. Um, it's a good job to do flash, actually, because I found them quite difficult to see in amongst the busyness of the medium res levels we were on. Um, you collect them, and then you take them back to your nest. You do this for all of the ones on that level, and then you'll get to the next level, of which is a slightly different design. There's obviously those things that I've already mentioned trying to stop you. So obviously the rats and the bugs and all the different hazards, as well as the actual hazards of the environment itself which is things that you fall off. You don't die if you fall off things, but it's obviously just inconveniences you in terms of putting you in more peril with other enemies and things like that. So it's quite mm. oh, tricky. But yeah. it is fast-paced. It's own kind of... I wouldn't say it's one screen because it sort of moves around, but it's one place, one level. But the pace is fast and quite leisurely, I suppose, in its own way. And there's lots of things to do and moving around and it's a space to you can navigate. And it's kind of arcade sentimentality at that point. Um, it's a bit of an odd thing, I guess, this. Um, it's not bad for its budget though. It's only one ninety nine. It plays okay. It's just a bit weird. It's kind of a weird old fashioned arcade sort of tone to it, which is not something you sort of expect. It's just it feels a bit odd. Even the arcade is a bit odd in that respect. The screen scrolls quite well. There's a couple of little glitches maybe here, not game breaking or anything, but it's in in terms of a conversion of an arcade, it's actually a pretty good conversion. Yeah, kind of looks the part. The music from Tim Follin is a very good facsimile of the arcade some really good sounds very heavy on samples at a certain point which i mean i i have to say um i like the arcade sort of sound tonality of it. it's kind of a whistling sort of vibe to it which is which is really well picked up by tim follin's music but the drum over drumminess of the heavy samples kind of detracts from a little bit you know in the opening thing but you know that's it is what it is it's 199 and the music is different hmm. but it is very like the arcade this looks and feels like the arcade and as a, an arcade game conversion it's okay and the game's okay Maybe a little on the dreary side, maybe a little it's bit the repetitive. Black, yeah, the, the background's completely black in it and compared to the arcade, yeah. it's a bit more colourful. Yeah, yeah, I'd expect that though on a 68,000 processor. Well, the weird thing is, just to, just to come back to that, that's Atari System 1. So that okay. is that was their standard and it's the same as it was Mad. used for Marble Madness, Roadrunner, Indiana Jones, Road Blasters. Explains why the Amiga versions look like they do then because it's yeah. kind of an Amiga really or, you know, and probably at a certain point at this point Tremel would have been in charge of Atari or something crazy so who knows what they were doing so you know it's it it is what it is um I know we've been saying that a lot for this episode this is two pounds with the arcade conversion and it ain't that bad the music's quite good it plays all right for what it is you can run around pick stuff up in that kind of frantic arcadey kind of way and it is kind of it plays kind of frantic it's it's not like it's super difficult to get into um maybe like I said it's going to be, you know, it's an arcade of that type where it's just the same thing over and over again with more difficulty ramped up by more difficulty things in, on the screen. Everything that's going to make it more difficult will appear on the screen and make it harder you know, and all of that. But the, the the reading of the game screen, you're not navigating around the space, jumping up and down. You're not punished for doing things like falling off a step or tripping over a pixel yeah. or anything that we've seen in other games. You know, you can just get around and try and navigate and pick things up. And in a game that's about picking things up, you can do that. Sometimes the graphics blend in a little bit and are hard to see, but... You know, just take it for what it is. It's two pounds worth of arcade conversion and it ain't that bad. Now, um, would it kill an afternoon? I reckon you'd probably for two quid. You wouldn't be, you, you'd play this and you might not go back to it that often, but you're not going to think of it as the worst thing that's happened to you. Now, considering you could get this and Zamzara both for under a fiver, um, with other games in this list for this episode at 15 quid a go, this is amazing value for money and it's pretty damn good. And it shows, just shows you really. You know, take a long, hard look at yourselves, people making the games at this time and charging the kind of top whack prices you're charging. Take a look at Zamzara. Take a look at Peter Pack Rat. No, just they've got it where it counts. And in terms of Zamzara, they are giving you a proper run for your money. It just, I just it annoyed me seeing that and thinking, you know what? There are people out there that probably did get 
know, spend £10 on Afterburner. I know, okay, maybe their expectations was, weren't set correctly. But no, they've got better dead than Alien or Spitting Image or Jordan versus Bird at 15 quid. These games are expensive This in this episode. These two budget games, I've just shown them and given them sort of hold, holding a light up to them going, you know, look how good we are. Look how much we're charging. Perhaps that's more proportionate, really. Um, so, you know, for the some of these epic proportional nightmares that we've played for 10 quid and beyond, nah, this is a great idea that's delivered simply. It looks like the arcade to me. Sounds like the arcade to me. Plays like the arcade to me. And for two quid, that's good money. That's good. That's that's good eating, that is. I'd go for that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I liked it. What's not to like about it? It's dead simple. And, yeah. Okay. It's good. What about you? Yeah, yeah. I put simple platform style, clicked them up arcade conversion. Um, I like the fact that what would kill you in most of these types of games, like falling more than two pixels, falling into water, webs, etc., don't. Yep. Um, so that's quite nice. Um, I did find some of the level design is a bit more annoying than it needs to be with awkward jumps and gaps to try and fit into, um, yeah. um, which more often than not left my mouse. <laughs> I left my mouse doing something reminiscent of an Irish jig for bouncing off elsewhere into the level. That, 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 it had to come about, but it's, it's okay. It's fine. It's okay, I guess. It's um, like we said about um, Gaplus. It's interesting to see these kind of old arcade conversions sort of being picked up and released at budget levels. Um, you know, I don't know where this come from again. How this has been? Who's got hold of this? Who is it? Did this Silverbird? Silverbird, yeah, yeah. God only knows where this sort of old Atari, Atari sort of one came from. Um, you know, so it's always nice seeing arcade conversion come out at budget price. Yeah, they, I think they, you know, if they wanted to, this could have been a full Firebird release, but they've, you know, gone for the you know, more sensible option i think that does it's good it does get a bit dull um because it is the same thing just sort of running around and stuff and it is what it is and I, that in the arcade sort of thing you'd probably be killed before you got bored when it's a yeah. when it's something you're playing at home that sort of um repetitiveness becomes apparent more more obvious sort of thing after 20 30 minutes with the play but you know but it's okay it's no great shakes but it's it's fine it's it's a decent decent conversion of a, a decently weird little unknown um uh, arcade game yeah i quite enjoyed it yeah. For what it was, I mean, the pe- fine. people that did this, software creations, they did Bubble Bobble, Bionic Commando, they'll later do Gauntlet 3, they're also responsible for Lead Storm. So, oh, right, they know the stuff. So, yeah, they do know the stuff. And they're, obviously, they're doing those for different times and different publishers, but you know, these are not slouches. They knew what they were no. doing. So, yeah. yeah. Now they're those racket guys. So, yeah, exactly. There we go. Peter Packrat. And that's it. So a lot of uh, a lot of games. What did we look at this this week? Uh, Batman: The Cape Crusader, which was okay. I think we're we're yeah, okay. We looked, just wanted a bit more the Batman. Part, just a bit more Batman fighty, Batmany stuff. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Jordan versus Bird, which did not look the part. And no, and it was a complete lie because it is not Jordan fighting a giant bird, which it should have been. <laughs> it's not. Could have been the country of Jordan versus Mothra. Yes, or exactly. But it wasn't. No, it wasn't. For Fifty quid, it bloody well should have been. Should have been spitting image, which well. Not not great. Yeah, uh, better no, Dead Than Alien, which was... Uh, yeah, Spinner did miss the point. Better Dead Than Alien, which was... Budget game that we never was. Uh, yes, but should have been too good. Zamzara, yeah. best budget Amazing. game you, yeah, you're going to buy for a while. Question of Sport, yeah. which it simply isn't. Again, missing the no. point. <laughs> Circus Games, hot, horrific. Um, no. Afterburner, what were you expecting? Yeah, it is what it is. It is what it is. And finally, Peter Packrat, which is a nice little surprise at the end. Decent yeah. little game from a decent little arcade game. That's it. Next week... 
what have we got coming up? We carry on with that. We carry on with March. We've got one for you here, Graham. Zach McCracken and the Alien Mindbenders. Excellent. Look forward to playing that again. And then we've got Pasteman Pat. Mm. No idea about that one. <laughs> uh, Ghost Hunters, which isn't that one we thought mm. we'd play before. It's different. Mm. SDI. Okay. I think that's a shoot up. Dragon Ninja. Okay. Um, it's quite a decent review, so I'm quite looking for that. Could be quite interesting. Power Play Hockey. Okay. Uh, EA game, that, isn't it? Probably 15 yeah. quid. Superhero. We'll be looking at. Okay. Oh, that is Superman, the Man of Steel, and finally another Superman, Jockey Wilson's Darts Challenge. Hey. <laughs> so what we've got coming up next week. It's all going on. Plus, obviously, uh, UK albums. That's it for this week. That's been. I think this has been quite a long episode. If you, I will, I won't stay too long. If you want to support us, you can do. We have a Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash up to the past. It's a pound for cheap one or for four pound fifty. You know, pound is great. We really appreciate it. Four pound fifty. If you want to give us the full fat and, and come join the Discord and everything like that, that would be cool. Um, or send us a Kofi on Kofi.com for us. I up to the past. Think it is. We haven't done one of these long episodes in a while, have we? This amount of games. No, it's been a while. Yeah, we can tell. But this, you know, it's just one of those things when we have got this many games and we need to get through. Yeah, we try and give. We're trying to give them all equal, you know, footing as well, which is something that we you know we've we've, we've done it so far in all 115 episodes. We're not going to stop now. No, no, we're not. In fact, we've got more. You know, we get we've got better at it as we're done along. Yeah, that's it. I've got. I don't think I've got anything more to add. Have you got anything you wish to add? The Raddings? No, no. I would just suggest you know if, if I was going to suggest two games to play out of this particular episode, go and give Batman a will because the graphics are nice and definitely go play Zamzara because it's really good. Yeah, yeah. I think Batman's worth worth a look. Um, and Zamzara definitely a two my two as well. Maybe Peter Packrat as well if you want a bit of a quick, yeah, quick yeah, cheap yeah, sort of arcade thrill. Um, like I said, we'll be back next week then. Um, so as ever, I have been Adrian Mills. And I have been Graham Raddings. And you have been listening to Zap to the Past, and we will see you again as we carry on into March next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptuda, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Ruddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.